castle, an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. Welcome to July 29th, 1989 in the Legacy Series. It is another Saturday night's main event. It is a summer edition as we move closer to SummerSlam. And I got to tell you, folks, one of the biggest surprises I have had in the Legacy Series so far is my appreciation almost consistently and continually for 80s Hulk Hogan. I just did not expect that to be. I expected that I would say, oh, my God, yeah, facts are facts. And he moved a lot of money. He moved a lot of merchandise. He did a lot of big things while thinking inside. Yeah, he started with Mr. T. He gave us rock and wrestling and sports entertainment and all the things that I hate inside but have to acknowledge because they did big business. But there's been something else about 80s Hulk Hogan. Is it my cup of tea above all things? There's a lot of tea out there, folks. It probably isn't. But there's a spirit to Hulk Hogan. There's an energy to Hulk Hogan. And he's done something, I think, to himself and to the world in the 80s that not many people can do. In that we all know Hulk Hogan likes to bend the truth a whole lot. But I don't know if he's ever told a lie. Because I think the first person Hulk Hogan hypnotized was Hulk Hogan. I could never be like that. I could never walk around in the world, in the wrestling world, with a straight face no matter what I'm saying. Macho Man's my best friend today, and he is going to be destroyed tomorrow. And I forgot we haven't even broke up yet, but straight face. There are very few people who have a combination of whatever committedness he has to his whole gimmick plus an energy that's above anything we've almost ever felt in our lives. I thought Macho Man might do it. When I started this series, this is one of the most colorful characters of all time. He might do it. WrestleMania 4 proved otherwise. One of the greatest for very different reasons, but he was never going to be Hulk Hogan. Even Andre the Giant was not going to be Hulk Hogan. He was going to be a lot of things. He was going to help lift Hulk Hogan up, but he's almost the anti-Hulk Hogan of this era, and he's going to prove it again. But friends, there is one man in the world who just might be the closest thing to Hulk Hogan. He's another man who I think the first person he hypnotized was himself. So if he ever tells you a lie, he's also telling you the truth. He's a man who might be just as colorful, just as much energy. And I was thinking all of these things before I remembered the fact that history records he was literally factually almost Hulk Hogan before Hulk Hogan. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the debut of the American dream, the common man, Dusty Rhodes. This is a man who, when he stands on stage, he fills the entire arena, not like Randy Savage running around, but by just sending his energy out. This is a man who, before Hulk Hogan came to the WWF, Vince McMahon Jr., uh, Kennedy, sorry, not Junior, Vince McMahon Jr. had an idea while Senior was still alive, and his idea was this. I'm going to make a movie, and it's going to be about Dusty Rhodes, 
And you know what? It almost happened. Dusty, Dusty Rhodes was selling out Madison Square Garden. He had a relationship with Vince's father. But Dusty Rhodes was like, you're going to pay me the same amount of money as you're going to pay me for Madison Square Garden for my movie? No. Vince McMahon broke his pencil, and he's like, the deal is off. And I think a lot more broke at that time, but that's another story for another time, maybe later in this show, because we're going to see a tale of two Dusty Roads. We're going to see some gimmicks that only make me think that we were having fun with Dusty Roads. I almost don't know how else to say it. And we're still going to see a Dusty Roads who's going to give us some of the best stuff we've ever seen. But how is it that Ms. Fan and I did all of WCW The Legacy Series for over three years? And we're going to get more Dusty Rose in WWF, the Legacy Series, and WCW. I don't know how to talk about this, man. There's so much to say. There's so much to break down. There's so much to figure out. But it blows my mind. If I could fantasy book, if I could go back in time, I might not even break up anything in the 80s if Dusty did not come in the beginning. But if we could just go into an alternate world and see what it would look like, what would it look like if Dusty Rhodes and Hulk Hogan had teamed up or Dusty was the forerunner to Hulk Hogan? If Hulk Hogan had to contend eventually with somebody who's like Hulk Hogan, who can match him rhetoric for rhetoric, lie that is truth that is lie for lie that is truth that is lie. What would it look like? What would it feel like? We will never know. But what we have right now is the version of, of Dusty that we will get. I don't know how I'm going to feel about it. I don't know if it's going to change me. I don't know if it's going to affect me. But here's what I do know. If it doesn't, it's WWF's fault. It's Vince McMahon's fault. Because you can like some of these guys or not like them. But there are some of these guys that if you come in contact with them, you should be changed by them. And Dusty Rhodes is one of them. The American dream never should have been a star, never looked like a star, never had the advantages, never talked like a star. And yet he would make everybody around him wish they looked like him, wish they talked like him. That is the power that I'm talking about right now. And we've got him now as a wrestler in the WWF, something we never had in WCW, the Legacy Series. I want to understand it better because I am someone my entire life that I have wished I I have wished that I could live forever, but just live like three days at a time in the billion or zillion of alternate worlds. Like every choice we make could lead us down a different path. If I just had a screen of the zillion lives that I could live based off a of zillion decisions, I'm not a person who wants to live a whole life. I would just want to live three days as each. Once it gets common, once I know what's going on, I'll move on to another one. And maybe that's just my exploration and the way I am. But maybe it's something else, because what Dusty Rose teaches me, at least the character, is if you can be all right with yourself, it doesn't matter what role they put you in, because it starts with yourself. And Dusty Rose is just as alive in the WWF, just as committed, just as much Dusty Rose, no matter what script or idea they put in front of him. My friends, there is something to be learned, to be gained for coming in contact with Dusty Rose. I'm excited. I don't have to tell you, but I'll tell you anyway. The hype is back. Grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, 
my learned colleague. He is Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Welcome indeed to WWF The Legacy Series and this session and for the next year of coverage we are going to be going nwa because we do have dusty Rhodes on deck for the first time in our experience as a full-time wrestler it is a strange time and place to meet him and yet you can feel from my colleague you can feel from myself that the electricity that this man creates is real it is contagious it is like nothing else if you will it's telling that Dusty Rhodes is not even on the main show that we are covering, which is July 29, 1989, Saturday night's main event, a show that does feature Randy Savage, that features Hulk Hogan, that features the Brain Busters and Demolition and all these people, and we're doing a bunch of bonus matches that feature one of my personal favorites, Greg Valentine, and still, the thing that we are most excited to talk about, dare I even say by far, most excited to talk about is none other than Dusty Rhodes. He is a very, very special talent, and... uh I can't wait to talk about it more on this show. I am feeling that hype for sure. Man, uh, yeah. A week ago, I thought I would do a tribute to Greg Valentine, and we would talk about, like you said, Saturday Night's Main Event, because there's a lot of amazing things. Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and Bobby Heenan are going after the family's second championship. But there just has to be something done. We are not the Legacy Series. We don't have these shovels. If we don't dare go to this pit so large that we might get lost in it in Dusty Rose, we got to do our job, Miss Fan. Absolutely. When we are digging up, if you strike gold, you don't uh, just say, oh, well, let's go around the gold and find the other thing. You know, you're looking at the gold. For God's sake, you got to take the time to look at the beautiful artifact that you've uncovered. And we, we, we stumbled upon a doozy right here. I think something that might be frustrating, it might always separate those who actually have to do the job of booking and wrestling fans is the fact that if you have to book, you have to make something out of nothing. And by the time it comes to us as wrestling fans, we're like, oh, my God, I like that or I didn't like that. But it could be so much better. And like anybody perhaps could take an idea and say, here's where it could go further. But we always feel like that because we get so involved that we're like, I like this, but or I don't like this because Dusty Rhodes is one of the few people in the world who I feel like I don't have to give that but or because, because I don't feel like I can take things further than Dusty Rhodes is going to take it himself. And so right now we're going to have such an interesting conversation because you texted me and you know me and you know yourself and you know the show. And you told me before I watched any of this, you gave me some kind of red flag heads up. Uh, these vignettes of Dusty Rhodes, you might want to, you might want to maybe temper yourself. I don't know what the message fully was, was uh, meant to be. But even still, and I'm not even going to finish my conversation. I'm just going to say even still with Dusty Rhodes, even still. <laughs> I did send through a warning. Um, I believe I said, uh, I hope you're ready for how silly these Dusty Rhodes mm -hmm. vignettes are because uh, they are very silly, perhaps too silly for some, maybe a little too silly for me at mm -hmm. times. But uh, at the same time, I also sent you that I was very struck by the juxtaposition of these vignettes, which were kind of how they decided, well, this is how we're going to show Dusty Rhodes to the world. 
and then looking at the first match he actually had in the company, or at least the first match that we could find, kind of before they set all this in stone, and just feeling the differences, feeling the juxtaposition between those two things, and uh, I find that really fascinating, and, you know, not to uh, spoil the outcome, but I think it's going to demonstrate to me the thing we already knew is that Dusty Rhodes didn't need all of these uh, bells and whistles and kind of silly things hung off him, that he walked in the door and was immediately hotter than just about everything they had, and they could have simply used Dusty Rhodes as Dusty Rhodes, but uh, we'll get something. Still, it's still Dusty Rhodes, but it's a little different as we go along. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to be in close agreement. Though I probably will th- I'm going to throw out some claims later on, some opinions, see what you think of them, see where you fall, because I think with uh, his opponent, you maybe know more than I do, or maybe have paid attention a little closer. So we'll get into that. But one one conversation that happens in the wrestling world, another truth that is a lie, that is a truth. You know, the WWF execs say, of course, we never ripped anybody like it's a professional sport. Like we're not going to bring in characters just to make fun of people, you know, and I can almost see it being a truth and a lie because, yeah, we, we talk about the Red Rooster was sabotaged and maybe he's also throwing shots at other guys through the Red Rooster. We say Dusty Rhodes maybe was sabotaged. That's the conversation we have to have today because Miss Van just laid it out for you. We got a match. And then we got gimmick and we got to talk about both of them in the end. They are not the same thing. But then at the same time, let's say that whoever the hell honky tonk man is. I don't know if I know who he is. Well, honky tonk man. But if the honky tonk man gimmick had lasted five minutes and it had been a joke and it didn't work and we were fans of whoever was playing honky tonk man, would we not say like they put him as a fucking Elvis impersonator who just like spat out Elvis songs and had a guitar and, like, stupid hair and stupid outfit, like, of course it wasn't going to work. You didn't let the guy do anything except be an Elvis impersonator. So where do we draw the line in that if any of these gimmicks in the 80s didn't work, you almost could say, like, the gimmick was a sabotage. But also I think we know there's something a little bit different with some of them. I feel like it might be hard to quantify on the spot, but at the very least, you have to think there's a felt sense that will kind of tell you, well, this one was okay and this one was not okay. You know, this one was like a a guy who uh, models himself after Elvis, which is a bit odd, but that is something that a person might do. And this is a person who acted like a chicken, and that is not something a person (laughs) might do, you know. So there's some difference there that you can kind of feel, and uh, beyond that, you can't take out of the equation the person who is playing the role. You yes. know, if you've got Wayne Ferris, if you've got Terry Taylor, then holy crap, they probably need some help. If you've got Dusty Rhodes, mm. I mean, surely by 1989, it has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that you don't need to dress up Dusty Rhodes. I mean, this is one of the most successful wrestlers of all time at this point. And I know, like, you can't even say, oh, well, it only worked in the South or, you know, whatever region you want to kind of like downplay, because this is a guy who came to New York and worked for Vince McMahon senior and, and sold out Madison square garden. So, um, you know, I, I don't see how you can, uh, justify it here. I will say anyone who's ever created something knows it's really hard to know beforehand what's going Mm -hmm. to work and what's not going to work. So I give some allowance for that. But then also, sometimes you have to plug your brain in and say, well, this is not just kind of a generic situation. This is something where I think anybody could have known beforehand that some of this stuff was not needed. 
that's an excellent, excellent response. I'm going to ask you a few more because I feel like I, there's so much. This is one of the a lot of times I'm not aware of what the conversations are outside of this show, and I really don't care because we are watching <laughs> and calling what we see. Right. But this is a conversation that is peeking over the the walls of the Legacy series and looking at us from the outside. So number one, you are spot on because I listened to Bruce Pritchard's Dusty Rhodes show, which was the very first in that series last night as I was falling asleep, Ooh. and Bruce Pritchard said the reason Vince McMahon wanted to make him like that Hulk Hogan before Hulk Hogan is because he got over everywhere. He got over in Florida. He got over in St. Louis. He got over in the Mid-Atlantic. He sold out Madison Square Garden. So Miz fan just hit the nail on the head on that. Okay, and I got one question, and then I got one more about is this personal with Dusty Rose? We'll save that. But this just came into my mind while, we were, while you were talking. I don't know if I know the answer. Okay, Harley Race was just in WWF. Dusty Rose is now in WWF. Dusty Rose is the common man. Harley Race is the king. So he took both of them, even though they were seven, eight, probably ten times world champion together. Is there a difference between what he did with Dusty Rhodes and what he did with Harley Race? Hmm. That is an interesting question. I will say, I want to say there is some difference there, because with Harley Race, um, he's NWA champion, and that's kind of, as far as I know, his whole gimmick uh, in the NWA. You know, he's a champion. He doesn't necessarily have those bells and whistles and come in. Well, we want him to have something to kind of hang his hat on, uh, in this case, literally, but we don't know what, so we're going to make him a king. Uh, okay, sure, you know. Dusty Rhodes, he's been, like, the son of a plumber he's been like the hard times you know he's done all this stuff he's talked about basically being a common man so it feels different a little bit insofar as they kind of saw what he had and said oh what if it was also silly you know <laughs> like what yeah. if we just added like a silly element to that character so there's some difference because i think in some way they're building on what's already there but there's not a difference in i feel that both weren't necessarily needed and I don't know, like, the King, I don't hate either one, I'll be honest, you know, I'll be up front, like, they did what they did, and, you know, they still got over, and it worked, somehow the King thing is less egregious to me than the, the common man thing, and maybe I'm just coming very freshly off these vignettes, but, okay, sure, Harley Race didn't need to be King to get over, but, you know, he could defend the crown, and, you know, he gave him some puns to do, and it kind of gave him a little bit of, uh, uh, cartoony WWF character. Dusty Rhodes, like, surely he didn't need this. We're going to see him at one point carrying around a, a poop-smeared toilet, which just, mm -hmm. you know, did not need to happen. So uh, you could have dispensed more easily, I think, with some of this silly Dusty Rhodes stuff. Yeah. You said the word silly twice, and I think that might help start making the difference because there is something to me. I'll go ahead and I'll be a little more upfront as well as we enter this last idea that I have. I think it is very personal mm. with Dusty Rhodes, and I don't think it was with Harley Race. I think it would be almost the equivalent after listening to you talk. If they made Dusty or Harley come in as a strong man and a tough man, but then he wasn't really tough, and his toughness was kind of a joke, and he thought he was tough, but maybe he wasn't. There's something about the Dusty Rhodes gimmick that they're saying, let us take what you actually are and what you symbolize. Yes, 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 what you built and let's kind of make a joke out of it because maybe you are and maybe you're not that thing. Maybe you are or maybe you just think you are. And so I think there's something personal. And now this is wild, wild speculation. But I would say probably 
just thinking about Vince McMahon, more than Dusty being NWA champion, Harley was NWA champion. I think it might be a straight line from I was going to make you something and you said no and you didn't do it all the way to now I have you nine years later, seven years later, and here we go. So I don't know, but I think it's personal. Otherwise, it's just stupid. It's one or the other because if you got nothing but color embodied in a human being, why do you just put more color on it? You're not doing anything to help or assist. And so I don't know what the gimmick does for him. I kind of know what it does against him indeed and uh you know i i won't even come out and say it was personal or it wasn't i won't go quite as far i think it may have been i think your point uh, is very valid and if it was personal let's not forget also dusty Rhodes um has just come here directly from being uh, uh you know an official in nwa a booker a person who is like not only wrestling but also in charge of the product that has been opposing vince mcmahon you know he's the guy who came up with Bunkhouse Stampede and a lot of these other ideas, and they have been placed directly opposite of major shows and pay-per-views of the WWF. And, you know, those, those were choices made on both sides, but to some extent you've got to see Dusty Rhodes as more than just a performer. He's a guy who uh, also kind of, like, drove the competition. And uh, I think we all know Vince McMahon, how he feels about people who try to compete with him. Let me ask you this. Do you think the sky is the limit for Dusty Rhodes and WWF, or do you think there's a ceiling? Ugh. I mean, if we're talking about 1989, Hulk Hogan is the ceiling. And as yeah. much as I love Dusty Rhodes, I have been, it's been cemented to me that nobody was going to supplant yes. Hulk Hogan at this time. But as far as that, like, number two guy in the company, stand next to Hulk Hogan, be a new Mega Powers, could easily have happened. Mm. They could have gone that far, I think. And uh, everyone would have been into it. So, so yes, but barely, I guess, would be the answer. Yeah. So I, I'm in the same. I, I I think the only way to say someone would have been bigger than Hogan in this era, they would have to go back in time and show it to me. Exactly. That's just fair analysis. But, man, I could book Dusty Rhodes anywhere in this era, and it would be as good, except Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant is the only freaking guy who could put Hulk Hogan over and make WrestleMania 3 what it is. But Dusty Rhodes could win WrestleMania 4 and could become Hulk Hogan's partner, and that would be a different kind of amazing. Uh-huh. I sure as shit. If Dusty Rhodes could be a babyface at WrestleMania six and take Hulk Hogan on babyface versus babyface and do it as well as the Ultimate Warrior, you know he is the only person, and I, I don't even know. It might be, it might be Hogan and Dusty, and then well, maybe The Rock, maybe The Rock. Who who else? I'm not saying the greatest of all time. I'm saying embodies an energy and a feel and a commitment that pushes outward. Hulk Hogan, Dusty Rhodes, and then who else in this series? Mm. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, maybe nobody. It's not Brett. It's not Sean. It's not Diesel. It's not Austin. Austin's almost like the 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 repellent the repellent to that. You know, he he can, he actually has something like that. But the black, the anti-hero, all of that is sticking a pin in the needle of that idea. So it's not Austin. It might be sure it's not Triple H. I'm sorry, I had to even say that. Fans, <laughs> take a second out of your time that you didn't deserve. It might be The Rock. And that's www.lopforums.com. Uh, Hulk Hogan, Dusty Rose, and whoever else as committed to what they are and embodying an energy so big that you almost can't be inside the same building with them. Mm, yeah. The electricity uh, that they create is really incredible. I was just thinking about this. I'm trying to figure out what kind of energy exactly it is mm. that Dusty Rhodes creates. 
is he possibly an air or a sky element? Because I don't know where else he would fit. And he is so, um, mm. it's kind of cheesy, but man, like he's very breezy in his energy. Like it yeah. flows more than water even. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I was thinking about this too. And I think what might make Dusty Rose what he is, is he might be something like a sky element with a secondary water, which is just, mm. you know, there's no reality to that human being. There's no grounding to that human <laughs> being. It's, it's air and it's water. But how many obstacles has he either gone around or gone over that he can't be still, he can't be stopped, but he has no reality and grounding at the same time. It's all imagination. It's all like presentation. It's all just building out from the inside into the outside world. So I think I think it's got to be Sky in that way because it's just Dusty's inner world, you know, that he has created and given us. And nobody outside of Dusty Rhodes ever, ever, ever would have stopped him at his job and said, why are you working this job when you should be a hero and star in professional wrestling? It's just obvious, Dusty Rhodes. It's not obvious. It was obvious first to Dusty Rhodes and then to the rest of the world. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I like that thing, the secondary of water. But, yeah, he's got to be sky yes. first to me because you can't even – like, you can't redirect this man, you can't damn him, you can't uh, shape him in any way, I think. Like, he, he will blow where he will blow, and uh, it will always be Dusty Rhodes, and it will always be, you know, great, honestly. I can't think of many Dusty Rhodes things that I am not a fan of. Man, we're already opening eyes because you're helping me to see this better. Uh, I feel like what might have happened with those vignettes because Vince McMahon and Dusty Rose are quite a bit alike when it comes to like ego and business. I feel like Vince McMahon's idea in part was let's take this stupid, ridiculous, over the top stuff and we'll make it bigger and even more over the top and see what he does with that. And then Dusty was like, let's take this uh, over the top that's over my over the top and I will go even more over the top in my vignettes with what you gave me. And they just kept raising each other until we got those absurd vignettes that we got <laughs> that's uh the best explanation that i have heard because yes dusty Rhodes um is is tapping into the spirit of roddy piper almost and how over the top mm. he is in his performance but hey you know on some level he's like all right they want me to be silly i'm just gonna be like <laughs> as silly as i will possibly be and guess what i'm dusty Rhodes. this is another guy that i think and this is sort of like Hogan, um, it's a bit like Piper, it's a bit like others we've talked about. I think this is a, another very instinctual guy who mm. just trusted that his instincts would get him over at all times, and it was very well-founded because, like you said, he's a guy who gets over everywhere. Um, I don't know how much he ever uh, pre-planned his stuff, but the way it flows and the way that he acts, it, you would definitely think this is just something that pours out of him when he wants it to. Yes, it is it is an extreme extrovert too who uses okay. his relational ability. Like when he's on stage, you feel like he's lost in himself, but he is peeking and making eye contact with the front row, with the mid row, and he is making sure is this energy right? Are they feeling what I'm feeling? Am I feeling what they're feeling? And it's weird that you got you pushed me to say that because I've told this story a bunch of times, but I was not a WWF fan back when I was in North Carolina, but they came to Greenville, North Carolina, and it was like Dean Ambrose versus um, the guy with the lantern. Bray uh, uh, Wyatt. Bray Wyatt, and those were the only two people I really, really knew or cared about, and they were in the main event, so I was like, okay, I'll go. It's like 20 minutes at the time from where I am, mm -hmm. and you know what? 
like it didn't really do it for me. I didn't enjoy the match. But Cody Rhodes, the Stardust came out that I didn't really know or care about, and he made eye contact with me, and he made eye contact with everyone, and it was the most intimate moment of the night. And by God, I'm guessing now where that might have come from. <laughs> There's a reason that um, Dustin and Cody both are on mm. TV right now and uh, highly, highly yes. successful, highly engaging to watch. Uh, you, nobody is quite dusty, and I, I do mean nobody, I think, ever is or will be exactly what Dusty Rhodes was. But, uh, man, they are damn good, and, you know, they got a bit of their father in them for sure. Yeah, and there's something about loving other people, mm. I think, just in that family. Yeah. Like, yeah, they, they, they really love themselves. Don't, don't get that wrong. But they also <laughs> do. They, they love other people as well. Oh, man. It'll be interesting to look back in the future and try to deduce um, the character and the energy of these guys because it's harder, I think, in real time uh, to do so. It's easier when you can kind of look back and you can see the whole package. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, is, it is unfair, I think. As people are going along, we got to do it because we're fans is what we do. But to deduce them, this part of the reason I threw the NWA out, because like I like the show, but I liked it less while we were breaking it down because I've got to be critical because Mm. I still want them to do better than what they're doing because they still can. This stuff right here, they can't do any better. They did what they did. And here we are. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a lot of uh, there's a different energy to. We talked about unearthing in real time, and I think we did a good job, but that's very hard to do Mm. because you cannot know the same facts. You cannot move at the same speed. You have to make a lot more assumptions, and it's it's just easier to dig up uh, historical treasure. And uh, I don't say easier insofar as that, like, it was too hard to do, but uh, it's just a different reward, I think, when you do it this way. It almost feels more respectful, too, because mm. like this is the appropriate time to do it. Like, I would not I would not be that too happy. I would understand it if I'm in the entertainment business. But if I'm in the middle of my career and you're telling me what my legacy is, like I could feel sideways about that. And I think be justified in feeling like that because I'm not done and I you, you don't know. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's different. And this just feels more comfortable to me. No, no, I agree. Um Absolutely. There's uh, the energy I get off this show is a little bit more um, palpable than mm. what I what I got from uh, covering stuff in real time. There's always an extra stress because, yeah, like uh, the wrestlers, uh, you have to be insane to be a wrestler. Like nobody works harder than a wrestler. <laughs> I think hardly in the whole world. You, you go out and you do like one of the most physically uh, destroying jobs that you could do, and then uh, for people like us to come on and be like, "Well, they didn't do a good job," and like, yeah. eh, you know, maybe they did it. Maybe we're just being honest as fans. I like to think we are, but yeah. still, like, it's not the same feeling. You can look back at people and like, "Hey, this is like 30 years done and dusted." We can give a comment on this at this time, and it's just it's a different energy, you know. If you say if you say the wrong thing, not that there is a wrong thing, but if you say something that is, um, you know, uncomplimentary. There's a lot of years between that and this, and uh, there's just some cushioning there. Yeah, it does feel like, too, you let it breathe. Like, yeah, what you did last night, I might still condemn five years from now. But the time is also to let it breathe because, like you said, nobody's going to listen to our show if we talk so honest that every single time we brought someone up, we're like, well, they are a professional wrestler, and we've got to give them respect because, by God, they're this. You, know, like, you can't do that every time, but there is a truth embedded in that. Yeah. You know, like – 
these people are going out there and they are maybe shortening their lives, giving their lives, altering their lives. And, you know, just if the only thing you have to say the next day is fuck that guy, he ruins my <laughs> night, you know, and we would do it. I would do it because we're also fans and that's a fanatic and I want to enjoy it. And I, I, I appreciate your effort. But you know what? Bobby Roode's not on the show because of you. So I'm going to make that critique. So it's sticky business. You're right. Yeah. I think time also gives you a better perspective because it's interesting now. And I'm glad that the the wheel has kind of shifted because everybody loves Dusty Rose. He's pretty much universally praised now. And that was not always the case. He did go through periods where uh, he was disliked uh, because of his booking and because it was perceived Mm -hmm. he kept people down. Never forget Steve Austin rebelled probably against Dusty more than anyone. In his ECW promos, you know, he named him and shamed him repeatedly, and he's not the only one who spoke against Dusty Rhodes at times um, about the way he presented himself too strongly at the expense of others, at the way he made creative decisions, even at the way that maybe watching in real time at his peak, he became very repetitive at times, and, you know, Mm -hmm. we're not watching that era. There's probably some truth to that, and yet... Time gives you perspective, and now it's much easier to look back on the whole of Dusty Rhodes and say, wow, what an incredible once-in-a-lifetime talent this guy was. You know, nobody is perfect, but it's just easier now to look back and just see from everything he did what an incredible talent this guy was. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of it. That's why I started with the Hogan thing, because when I read Dusty's book, it feels like listening to a Hulk Hogan interview. And so (laughs) even when Dusty was telling the truth and then I went somewhere else and heard someone else say the same story, I didn't believe it till I heard someone else tell that story because it's just so much ego. And Dusty's kind of upfront with it because it's almost a joke at this point. But (laughs) I can understand why, especially when that guy is also Booker and wrestler, I can understand why that would be a problem, why it would irritate people. But the best thing that sometimes you can do if you are a great and people are always saying you're in the way is to get out of the way and let everyone else do it. Because then in time we have we have to say, okay, this is what Dusty did. Here's what the people who all wanted to be Dusty did. Let's all just kind of see what they did for this sport. And then that's when I think you stand aside and say there might be single ideas I like or don't like, but collectively what he did and not only coming back to WWE, we're talking today about did they sabotage him or not? He is going to be the grandfather of a generation of future WWE stars. Yeah. It's, it's a, and then fucking AEW. You know, you don't have AEW if you don't have Cody Rhodes. You don't have Cody Rhodes if you don't have uh, Dusty Rhodes. So what what person right now is more responsible for maybe both companies? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So influential and um, – <clears throat> At the end of the day, we talked about this some with Hogan. We talked about some with others. Like, a lot of times to be that great wrestling success, uh, and sometimes be a great wrestling failure, but I'm talking about success right now, you have to bet so strongly on yourself. You have to just believe that you are the right person at the right time, no matter what anybody tells you. Um, We've seen it definitely with Hulk Hogan. We've seen it with others who who just seem uh, kind of impervious to criticism, impervious to change. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not. But you almost have to have that mindset, I think, because we've talked a lot about how great Randy Savage is, and yet, um, you know, in, in his title reign and at WrestleMania four and at various times, like, I think the element of insecurity held this guy back. You know, it stopped him maybe from achieving his full peak 
at certain times in his career. This is a guy who I think, I won't say he had trouble betting on himself, but still there is that element there of insecurity that I think you don't see in a guy like Hulk Hogan. You don't see in a guy like Dusty Rhodes. And uh, it's just, it's a different vibe. So yeah, you can't necessarily blame these guys for betting on themselves so strongly, but then sometimes it does go bad because you have WCW Starcade 1994, you know, and then it's horrible. So um, it's just, it's a difficult thing to look at in the success or the failure of a great wrestler. And that's why, though, quite honestly, Hulk Hogan and Dusty Rose are going to do awful things. If something awful happens, it's going to happen to somebody else, somebody around them, <laughs> you know. Sure. But the, the thing it made me think of is you, you almost think in your mind, these guys are regular guys, regular gals, and then they become stars. And it's easy to get an ego and a belief in yourself, you know, after you've done these things. But I feel like with Hulk Hogan and Dusty Rhodes, the belief in the self came first. And then the rest came because Dusty Rhodes looks like Dusty Rhodes. Hulk Hogan, I only realized in watching Hogan and Honky Tonk Man, the man's skin is red and his mustache is yellow. So he is red and yellow without the outfit and then the outfit and then the commandments that go with it. It's like red and yellow on red and yellow. And he's a bald mustache, handlebar mustache, man. But Dusty was never those attributes to Dusty. Hogan was never those. And yet it hurt them at times because I am convinced if Dusty Rhodes does that movie and stays with WWF, there is at least a seven out of ten opportunity. He makes far more money than he ever made because Dusty was already Hollywood and they wanted to go to Hollywood with him. And it just would have worked. And only recently uh, I found out maybe I knew this before. Hulk Hogan, when he left the WWF, he was promising jobs to Beefcake and all these other guys that he's going to create a studio because he had been told the people who made Thunder and Paradise were the same people who made Baywatch. And Baywatch was going to be syndicated. It was going to be one of the biggest shows of all time. And they, they thought that Thunder and Paradise was going to be the same thing. So these guys and their ego even hurts them and stops them and stumbles them. Mm. But they just never stop and they just do the next thing. And it wows me. There's part of me that never wants to be that because I think you do you lose empathy for others or you run people over and then you lie about it. But I do wish I do. I wish I had 20 or 30 percent more of that and that I would have actually bet on myself more. And to this day, I won't bet on myself if it comes down to like real, real stuff. Like, do I wish I had more of that? Yeah. So like it's not you can't just quantify it and say good or bad, but it's just it's just something. And we don't see it very much. And it's probably good because they also probably would take over the world if they could. And like you know, be that guy, but also they make us wish we could be a little bit more confident in ourselves and maybe live more authentic lives ourselves. <laughs> Man, there's definitely something to that, but uh, if it makes you feel better, I'll throw out the other side. You could end up Paul Roma, you know, mm. in uh, shoot interviews, just uh, yes. profanity laced tirades about how you were the best and uh, everyone else was like worse than you. So the failures also sometimes yes. have this attribute. You'd be ultimate warrior who just thought, yes. Everything he said was like the greatest and the gospel truth. And actually he was fucking terrible and he failed when the, uh, when, you know, when the chips were down. So, so yeah, there's two sides to it for sure. That's what I love about this show because there's just always, there's multiple sides and yeah, more than likely you're going to end up like Paul Roma. You end up thinking, Oh, I was too good for the horseman. Okay. You were too good for the horseman, Paul Roma or <laughs> ultimate warrior, ultimate warrior. Like this is a guy who has yet to step up. 
a single time in the Legacy Series. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You got tassels and face paint and you look like you do and you got music and you run down the ringside. But my friend, if you don't pick up soon, I'm trying to warn you, but I know you won't hear me because you don't hear other people. They're going to give you the belt over Hulk Hogan, babyface versus babyface, and you're going to be done in less than a year if you don't do something, Ultimate Warrior. But you know what? That is the other side. Like Ms. Van said, if I'm already so good... Why do I have to do anything? I'm the ultimate warrior. Okay, we'll see, buddy. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yep, bet on yourself. Follow your instincts. That's great if it works out. If it's not, then uh, people will look back in time and they will judge you harshly. But guess what? Maybe you'll deserve it, especially if you're ultimate warrior. So. Especially if you're Yes. <laughs> and so, again, like Dusty Rhodes to me, we, in my mind – after we do this show, Dusty Rhodes has done more to get their shot at WrestleMania 6 than the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, yeah, after this one show, I agree. Poop toilet and all, I agree. <laughs> it's got, man. Okay, so I don't know where you want to start, so we, we got a lot of bonus stuff. Miss fans hooked us up as per usual. Yeah. Let's see where he wants to go. All right, well, I like to kind of follow the timeline, so let's start with the guy we've been talking about. Let's talk about Dusty Rhodes. Uh, I think he might have done one house show match before this that was not taped so this is either his first or his second actual appearance in the wwf back back here after a long time he was here in the 70s i think not since then here he is in boston june 3rd this is on youtube you can find this i encourage you to check it out uh or check the link i put it in uh, lp forums and i put it in um twitter so you can check it out there as well dusty Rhodes taking on Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man, as he comes in. And I got to say, like, that's a great pairing right off the bat. Uh, Ted, he will talk about it here. He's in a feud with Jake Roberts. But, man, I would not at all have been opposed if they had changed uh, tactics and had Dusty and Ted at SummerSlam because this seems like such a natural pairing. And, by God, like, not to get ahead of myself, but this gets over like nobody's business. Yeah, I'm trying to think. It, what what has Ted DiBiase done that is better than than this? Yeah, I I'm a big fan of the uh, the first vignettes he did, where he like offered people money to yes. you know kind of humiliate themselves and all the all that stuff. But in terms of match, matches, match, nothing. This is the best. You know, he's okay. been in there with Savage. He's been in there with everybody. It seems like. This is this is one of the best matches in terms of like favorite matches that we have watched. Maybe in either Legacy Series. I won't say it's at the very top, but, like, it's one very small tier down. This is so much fun. It's amazing. Ted DiBiase, number one, the crowd is – if the crowd felt like this at WrestleMania 4, we'd have a different conversation about WrestleMania 4 yes. is number one. DiBiase has got more authority. Like, he – the authority on the mic, like, he's not just goofball uh, heel, but he's, he's, he's speaking with authority – and Dusty Rose is there to let the air out of that authority, and he's just so over with the crowd. This is my favorite thing Ted DiBiase has done in the entirety of the Legacy Series so far, mm-hmm. and it's it's a big part because these guys go together well. They fit, and so Dusty Rose is already lifting people up. Ultimate Warrior, we're going to put that scoreboard up. It's 1-0, my friend. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a blowout. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Dusty said in his book he had three great prom, uh, three great programs in WWF. So then he said Ted DiBiase, Randy Savage, and who who am I missing? Ooh, good question. I actually don't yeah. know. Those are the two I know. So we're gonna discover okay. together, I guess, what the third one is. It's not gonna be 
his SummerSlam opponent, which is Honky Tonk Man. So let's oh, leave that goodness. alone. Okay. <laughs> he does mention in one of these later promos, he mentions Big Boss Man, and I don't know if that materializes, but by God, I would like to see that match. So I hope that's one of them. Yeah, I was very interested in uh, Boss Man. I didn't. I don't remember that being a thing, but man, no, me neither. Yeah. I think Dusty helped get that man in the business and pretty much set him up as a badass so that he could take him down later in the NWA. So, <laughs> you know. Well, he's, I won't even blame him because that's, you know, that's how it goes. And he's still got his whole career. And uh, Big Boss Man's great. So. Okay. His first one was Boss Man, then DiBiase, then Savage. It was Boss Man. Okay. Well, yes. I got to see that then because uh, I don't remember hearing about that. But that sounds great to me. So bring it on. Okay, Woo. man. So this is. This is big time. It's Dusty Rose and DiBiase. You got a little bit of DiBiase is the closest thing to Ric Flair in the WWF, so maybe that helps out. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a just a divine. I don't use the word divine much, but this was divine. It really was. You know, Ted before the match, he's out there by himself with Virgil, and uh, he's ranting about Jake Roberts. Oh, Jake Roberts not here tonight. He's scared because I I put a sleeper on him on television. You know, just kind of the usual heel bluster. He rants against Dusty Rhodes, says you can't come in here and further your career at my expense. And how about this? I'll give you I'll give you some money to just leave and go have a good time in Boston and not even bother me. So, oh, it's a nice setup. You get Dusty come out, and there's a very nice reaction for Dusty. They know who this guy is. Don't make any mistake. Uh, and what I like here is he's dressed like himself. He's not dressed in uh, polka dots or tie-dye or kind of yeah. one of the silly things he'll be wearing a little bit later. But that dirty so-and-so, he, he took the money, Miss Van. <laughs> well, Ted rubs the money right in his face, and Dusty does take it. And then he punches Ted, and then he, he pulls an Andre at WrestleMania 1 and gives the money to the crowd. So that's that's a true baby face. They don't want money for themselves. They'll They'll give the money right to the fans. It's also nice with the common man gimmick that's coming and that was always kind of embedded in some way that he would take that money, that hard to get money that DiBiase has gotten through God knows what and give it back to the fans. Because once again, the common man understands the need of the audience. So I like that he took Ted DiBiase's money and distributed it in the crowd. Oh, it's a great spot. It's a guaranteed crowd pleaser, uh, especially to the fans that actually get that money. So (laughs) yeah, that's also true. Almost. I think they almost started right in the front row, but you know, (laughs) they were, you know, they, they were going off for this, like they huge crowd energy for this match, which really always helps a lot. I appreciate that greatly. Yeah, I have a note that Dusty owns the audience, but his biggest fan is in the ring. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. This is great, too, because they changed so much off of this first sequence of events. Because not only does Dusty give the money away, he comes back in the ring, and then Ted recovers from being punched in the face. And Mm. he's trying to figure out where his money went. And they do, like, a whole thing with that, too. And then he finds out, and he's so mad about it. And, God, like, you've established such a powerful dynamic, and you've barely even touched each other yet. It's brilliant. I love this stuff. Yes, and it also we go back to nothing is better in this era than the characters and their beliefs and their narratives. So in Ted DiBiase's mind, even if Dusty attacked him, Dusty would have had to would have just taken that little bit of money and run away, and he'd never see him again. So like, why are why are we still here? Like, what is even going on right now? <laughs> right, he got the money. What does he want? Come <laughs> wrestle? What? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is a guy who wanted to buy the title and never actually wrestle at all. So, you know, mm. it, it makes sense from his perspective. So, yeah. Dusty's Ooh, not boy. that guy. I got to say, man, like like you said, like I said, this match is so good. Like, every move 
Dusty makes, I feel like I can see charisma dripping off this guy. And I'm just like, imagine looking at this guy, looking at this match, and thinking that Dusty needed anything added to him, like, to get over, to be greater, to, to, to anything. Like, clearly, this guy does not need anything, and yet he will get a lot of things that he doesn't need. He really, really doesn't, but... You know, again, we can't say how much was sabotaged, but like it doesn't matter because you could know this man could could know if someone could show him an oracle and like this guy's gonna make you the most money you've ever made, but you can't touch his NWA gimmick. He's still getting a different gimmick when it comes to the company. <laughs> By God, yeah, no, you're right. There's a certain stubbornness there that I think is not defeatable. Um, so yeah, like I like. Said, so go ahead. Hey, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to change the subject. I was just going to say this is such a great combination. Uh, you got Ted DiBiase doing the thing he does best, which is bumping overtime and uh, kind of stooging and feeding. And he is so great. And uh, we're recognizing this as one of his best things in the Legacy Series. And uh, it's really well-deserved because this is a chance for him to really kind of fully lean into this with a guy who knows. And this is another great NWA thing, a guy who knows how to kind of like play it to the maximum effect. Um, you got Dusty in there and he's doing like his big elbows. I love that stuff. And just like, it's a great combination. I really love these two together. Yeah. So we were basically going to say the same thing anyway, because <laughs> it's just a spot. I think it was where it starts the second time. Dusty is just standing still. Ted DiBiase runs full force at him and Dusty just raises his elbow and DiBiase runs into it, falls down, probably flips over knowing Ted DiBiase, but it really was. This is optimal. This is what Ted DiBiase can do because every single bump matters. Every single spot matters. They both understand who they are, what they are, and what they're doing. And this, I I don't know how to say it enough. I went into this with zero expectations. It's my favorite Ted DiBiase thing. It shows me what Dusty Rose was capable of. Go out of your way to watch this if you enjoy big energy and people who just know how to do character-driven confrontation in pro wrestling. Well, I was watching this match. I got a very unusual sensation that I I don't know if I've ever really gotten it this strongly in a match, maybe once or twice. I felt like I was there in this match mm-hmm. to the point where I could almost smell like the arena. If you've ever been to, to a wrestling show, yeah. to an arena show, you know, there's kind of a certain smell and I'm not like, haha, like it's sweaty or like the crowd mm-hmm. smells bad. Not like that. No, I just mean like the, the just the smell of a wrestling show. If you've ever been to one, you maybe you know what I'm talking about. So I had a very strong um, transported sensation is that I actually went somewhere while I watched this match and that I love that feeling. I didn't even expect to get it here and I got it because this, this just drew me in so strongly. Oh man, that that's, I, that's what I felt. I'm looking at a note after you said that I said, if Savage can be everywhere physically, Dusty can control everywhere from one single space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Into the future as well, it seems. Man, what a what a talent. Ridiculous. Here's, a, here's my challenge for viewers. Pull, put this match up on and try to ignore it. Try to ignore the match. Try to ignore Dusty Rhodes. There's your challenge. If you can do that, then you, you have an impressive power that I do not have. Because... <laughs> uh, Ooh, my attention span is not even um, amazing. I, I got to trick myself into paying attention to a lot of things in my life, but this match was no problem for me. So Yeah. Ooh, it's a weird man. thing. It's just language, maybe, just words. But DBI, Dusty kind of sets up 
like does something to uh, trick, I think, Ted DiBiase in the match. And Lord Alfred Hayes says, Dusty Rhodes is known to be a very deceitful person. <laughs> not to use the babyface language, but, you know. Oh, oh, my gosh. This is why I love Alfred Hayes, because this is nothing like, this is an era where you're not controlled through your headset, and doubly so if you're someone like Alfred Hayes. Like, there's just something, um, I want to say authentic. It's not exactly the right word, but he's definitely just, like, spouting what he's thinking at yes. times, and there's something uh, appealing about that. I agree. I, it's, it's refreshing. I don't know if I want everyone doing it, but I like it when some people do it. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about Alfred Hayes. He works for me. Um, it's amazing that some people don't like this guy, but some people don't like anything from this era. So, they, you know, if they just want to be sour, that's up to them. So I got an interesting text just now from Benjamin Button, and I will. I don't know the fullness because I know he's no bigger fan probably of some of WCW 94 than us, but at the same time, he says, the more I hear the Legacy series, the more I feel WCW from 94 on is the natural successor to the era that we are currently in. Oh, wow. Ooh. Hmm. I got to think really strongly about that. There's definitely... <sighs> the problem for me is you look at WCW from 94 on, and that is so many different creatures, so it's hard for me to say it's one continuation of anything. Right. That's fair. But... There are some spiritual, some felt uh, threads that I think do continue from one to the other. So I, I think I know what he's getting at. I don't know if I could go that far, but there's definitely, like, I definitely think at times we're talking about Hulk Hogan, what a jerk he is, and how perfectly it's going to segue into Hollywood in time, and how it probably could have done so even earlier, you know, if they had really wanted to. So there's a connection there. Um, you know, the, the greatest parts of WCW 94 before Hogan, um, you know, the start of Nitro 96, 97, much of 98, like they do have the same kind of energy insofar as that, like, I will rush to, uh, these eras when I'm thinking about kind of like my best experiences in wrestling. There, there are some strong connections there and a lot of the same players too, you know, sometimes, which is good. And sometimes it's too much, but there's something there. So I, I like that thought. Yeah, I think there's something. Number one, I might go back and have the exact same feeling about 94, but there's something that makes me want to see 94, even if it's not going to be as good. So there's a curiosity that's created from watching this first, and I can see how there's a natural succession. Like everyone always argues, is, is this era of Vince McMahon or is it Hulk Hogan? Well, it's both of them. But the, going to WCW is kind of like now we find out who it is. And so the Hogan stuff kind of goes that way. The thing I will say, I feel like 95 through 97, at least, if there is any successor to this era, nothing feels like this era to me, like WCW 95 to 97. And so that's what I want to find out when we watch the because you would think the natural successor to this, if there is one, would be the attitude era, because, you know, this was the biggest era of all time. And then, <laughs> oh, we go different directions like the money's not as good. But but now we got Sean and we got Bray and we got wrestling. And that's definitely not the successor. It's something else. They got to get rid of Hogan and Savage. But I, it, I want to know when the attitude era gets here. Does it feel like uh, uh, does it feel like this? Does it feel like a kick in the teeth of this? Does it feel like something else? And so which one feels more like 80s WWF, the Austin Rock Mankind era or the WCW NWO era? And I'm not sure. We'll see. Yeah, I, I don't know. I definitely 
I'm not as familiar with Attitude Era as I am with other eras. I gotta say, just from what I've seen in '97, it almost feels like uh, a rebellion against this. Yes. Um, as opposed to, I think WCW at the same time, which actually does kind of feel like the progression of this, sort of like a darker version, maybe an inverted version. But I feel like there's more of a direct connection between them. So if that's what he's getting at, I can definitely feel some uh, strong threads of connection there. Yeah, let us know uh, what you're talking about, Benjamin Button, www.lopforums.com. But here, here's also just a fact. If Hulk Hogan was turning heel and becoming Hollywood Hogan as a way to betray what only what he did in WCW in 94, nobody would care about it. <laughs> yeah. So he is turning on the 80s. So the 80s thread has to be directly connected to that for it to work. And then... When Hall and Nash come in, not as the NWO, but the WWF, it really is somewhere they took the WWF that the WWF had discarded from them and connect, hook that pipe up to WCW. So I do think that there is a direct direct that goes that way and does not go through the WWE, which is weird because then if you're doing WWF, the legacy series, you really need to be doing WCW later. If you're doing WCW (laughs) with Austin and mankind, you need to be doing WWF later. So, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) In a perfect world with infinite time, uh, we could have done both simultaneously and, and watched from one to the other and felt the whole thread of the whole stories, but uh, that was never going to be feasible. So it is what it is. I gotta say, I've been watching um, a lot of uh, 1998 WCW, just like TV stuff, lately. And a guy I definitely see a strong connection through with is a guy we've talked about a lot in Randy Savage. Mm. And um, we didn't talk that much. Maybe we did, and I forgot. But I don't remember talking so much about Randy Savage, like his own character, like his character arc, and like the ways that he went through everything. And I think it's very interesting to me now to look at the way his character is art because he came in and we talked about like his brains on fire and he's kind of like a bad person to Liz. He tries to be a good person. doesn't work. Now he's a worse person. He's going to have to retire. He's going to actually find some peace for a while. We're going to talk about that. He's going to come to WCW. He's still going to be a good guy and it's going to fall apart and he's going to act out again. He's going to be in the NWO. He's actually going to finally drag Liz along with him. And even she will be evil And he just, it's kind of a a dark ending because he will just spiral into kind of this dark place until he is no longer relevant Mm -hmm. anymore. But it's a fascinating character arc, and I think you can really follow it from the day he came into the WWF to, like, his last day in WCW. So I've been thinking a lot about that thread of connection, and that's very interesting to me. That's a great and powerful thought, and it makes me realize... The one thing that we did do that was probably inaccurate, we should have done WWF, the Legacy Series, first, and then did WCW, the Legacy Series. For for all the people in the world who are like, WWF is everything, and WCW is kind of nothing, or at best secondary, the kind of truth of that is in the great wrestling car of the U.S. in the 80s and 90s, WWF is kind of in the steering wheel at the steering wheel and WCW is at the passenger seat. I think for a couple, they go to the gas station around mid nineties and they switch up and the other one drives for a little while. But <laughs> you know, you've got to start with WWF, I think to appreciate Randy Savage, the way that we are right now in WCW. 
Yeah, but I got to say, at that time, we didn't know if we were going to be able to do more than one. I'm glad we picked yeah. WCW, because if you have to do one, that's the one that I think needs the conversation, yeah. needs the unearthing, and it was such a great experience. Absolutely. As a human being, I would do WCW every time, because Absolutely. it's so outrageously bad and wrong and sinful and destructive and ungodly and damnable what they do to WCW's legacy. So we tried to do what we could, and who knew that we would end up doing both which by God, by the time it's over, will probably be closer to 10 years of our lives than five. <laughs> I like good, good use of my time. I'm fine. Me, I'm good. Same, same. <laughs> and you're right, though, like that savage thing. Because then even now when savage, I'm either going to slap your hand, I'm going to shake your hand or slap you in the face would mean so much more to me, you know, oh, right yeah. now when he comes to WCW. All that stuff is like expanded in my mind now. And it's funny because, yeah, he tries to. Like, he found his peace in uh, 91 or whatever, and uh, he lived that peace for so many years that he came, and he's finally going to, like, well, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be exposed to Hulk Hogan again. I'm going to try to actually make this work like it didn't work before. And guess what? It didn't work again. Yeah. Eventually, Hogan will turn, and Hogan is the one who will bring him, like, to the bad side, and then he mm. will still hate Hogan, and it will just, like, kind of blow everything apart that he achieved in those those nice years of 91 to uh to 96 or whatever so uh it's kind of a sad story but um it's it's a, a an accurate one yeah i would just say to the listeners if your narrative with someone or something is going to be it's going to be different this time there's a spoiler alert if you need one for your life that i could give you mm-hmm. yeah because more, more times than not it's not and randy savage is going to fall for that but here's it's also buttons often right so you know I take his words seriously and more and more as we talk about this Savage in WWF was almost an announcer who had no past at some points like you know oh he's the announcer Randy Savage we don't want them to think of you as a wrestler mm-hmm. the minute he goes to WCW he's alluding to a conversation that only makes sense with the WWF past in history <laughs> for sure yeah it's very it's so strange what they do with savage because i feel like they don't do it with piper they don't do it with others but they do it with guys like gorilla monsoon like he may as well have never been a wrestler for all we see in this time mm-hmm. and uh they don't go quite that far with jesse ventura but there's definitely like some people get to have a pass and some people don't and it's so strange that they kind of chose the way they chose with randy savage that's a bizarre situation on a few levels it's the same. The reason that WWF works is the same reason it doesn't. WCW, same thing. WWF has one man in charge. Right. And this is the only company. WCW, I couldn't even give you a history of the timeline that connects because it's all over the place. WWF is not. So they have a campaign. We are going to be the new generation. We're moving away from steroid looking folk. We're going to be Bret Hart. We're going to be this. And, and it just is what it is. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage can be ambassadors. They can be announcers. But the day the campaign drops, the campaign drops and history changes, right. whereas WCW is so out of control that, oh, you want you want to come into the company and pretend like another company's history is our history and just ignore our history? Oh, why not? Why wouldn't we do that? <laughs> uh, yes, the changing tides of WCW are, are hard to follow at times. So. Yes, this is so neat Ooh. compared to that, you know, for, for better and worse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely for better and absolutely for worse sometimes. So, Whew. all right. Who gets DQ'd or counted out? Because we're not doing a Russell, we're not doing a pay per view, so I know nobody gets pinned. <laughs> that was the shocking thing to me as well. Yes. Because Dusty Rhodes will actually pin Ted DiBiase, 
and I would have bet money that that wouldn't have happened. I'm so glad it did happen, and it gets a humongous pop. So uh, props to those involved who made that decision. It's a nice roll-up victory for the for the rookie, and Lord Alfred says, what an upset. What a, what an upset, yeah, as this shows you. We still, we've already got kind of our WWE glasses on, which sort of filter <laughs> out some other things that we're not supposed to see, so. That's, I do like the, the idea. The same way he got the money and ran, he gets that roll-up and runs, and, and that's good enough. And so Dusty does Dusty, and Teddy Biasi is flustered like a good heel in the 80s ought to be. <laughs> And I'll say this for Dusty, um, at times he can be very serious, he can get that over, but so much of the time, and this is why I call him the Sky Element, there's something so airy about mm-hmm. him, because when he runs, it's not like, you know, there's no element of, like, fear or or yeah. anything like that. It's playful, almost. Yes. Like, he just kind of floats away on the breeze, and, like, you can't catch him. You probably run around on the ground trying to, like, jump up in the air and catch him, and he'll just float away, and he'll give you a little wave and a <laughs> smile, and, like, you know, you, you can't touch him if he doesn't want to be touched. Yeah, it's an eternal celebration. Like, you would think there's a barbecue, like, the friends are over, we're celebrating something that just happened. No, it's Dusty just standing in the ring after a match. <laughs> uh, this is where I can almost see the logic of what they tried to turn him into. Cause if you take that element of him, that kind of airy playful uh, yeah. element and you expand it way too much in my opinion, but if you expand it a lot, then mm. that's sort of what you do get with dusty roads where a lot of it is just like, Oh, I'm just here to have fun and just kind of like be playful. And if you will, and you know, so <laughs> there's almost an element that I can understand there, but the execution um, is just, it's too off. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah, I think it's at least 50% sincere, 50% like we want, we can move action figures, uh, we can have somebody who's popular, we, we can make money, <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's just his ugliness that's somewhere. And, and it might even be, because I think Vincent Mann could be sincere, but he has such a disdain for everything that's not his, that even in his sincerity, there would be something ugly, because there's something ugly in his view of the person. So it's just, the common man is just a little bit too common uh, at times. <laughs> This is so. very much a Vinceism that I think continues to today, and some people may disagree. This is just my opinion. There is a tendency in WWE to listen to what the fans want or to look at what would be successful, but maybe in a way that they don't prefer, mm. and then to try to do that thing and do it just just off enough that it doesn't really work. So you mm. can turn around and say, oh, well, we did the thing you said, and it failed. I guess you're dumb. You should have listened to us. Well, no, you yeah. actually did it wrong, so you <laughs> can't just turn around and say that. But that's kind of always – not always, but that's often the message I get. It's like, oh, well, we did your thing, and it sucked. You know, Eddie Guerrero's a bad champion. It's nothing to do with, you know, we gave him shit fuse mm-hmm. or anything. You know, that's just one example. But it happens many, many times in history. So uh, to me, that is a Vinceism that I have detected. Yeah, because I think in Vince's mind, Vince is always right. So, right. you know, there was actually something would have went like if Dusty got over more and they had to make him a champion of, at some level. Something would have went wrong. You right. know, <laughs> For sure. I mean, I think he'll be plenty over enough to be intercontinental champion. I, yeah. I'll give him credit for this. They they kind of put him on a level even above that because um, he's not he's going to be feuding with like some of the bigger names in the company, you know, like guys that Hulk Hogan could have easily feuded with as yeah. well. So it's not like there'll be no respect there. But um, but yeah, just something about 
something about the execution, you know. Um, I was thinking too, like we 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 dig for scraps and like, oh, I think Rick Rude and the Ultimate Warrior gave gave themselves a decent matchup. That was better than you know <laughs> when and watching Dusty versus Ted DiBiase. That could be the IC title, right? And I think yeah. we'd be better off for it. So much better off for it, yeah. So, ah, oh, well. Um, so that's the match. That's what you should watch. Uh, here are the <laughs> vignettes, which you maybe uh, should not watch unless you yeah. are curious about how weird they are. I don't want to spend time talking about every one of these. I'm going to run through them quickly. Um, the dates are they're all in prime time: six five, six twelve, six nineteen, six twenty six, July three. Uh, July 10, and then on the 24th of July is on the Brother Love Show. So for for a while, every week, they were running a new one of these. Uh, Dusty will deliver pizza. He will work at a taco shop. He will work at a gas station. He will be a garbage man. He will be a butcher. He will be an actual plumber, and this is where we see the poopy toilet, and he, like, mm. picks up the toilet, and it's got poop on it, and that's... Okay, somebody <laughs> heard the word plumber, and they went, they went nuts with this vignette, I guess, so that... That's something. Uh, they all end with, hey, aren't you? And then it trails off. So I guess the idea is everybody knows Dusty Rhodes and he's doing like these weird odd jobs before he comes to the WWF. It is what it is. It's very silly. Like we talked about, Dusty Rhodes will spend a lot of time just like being super hammy and like egging for the camera and uh, like singing weird songs and doing weird things. And he's so charismatic that it still kind of works, but it's also like so silly that you're like, Okay. It's like, it's not as bad as, but it's kind of like one of those Roddy Piper promos where he just like has nothing to talk about. He goes off the deep end and it's just a little bit incomprehensible. It's not quite that far, but it's in the same energy. Yeah. You, you wonder sometimes, should the pro vignettes be, uh, I didn't recognize you. And then at the end, they're like, oh, aren't you? Versus should it be like, they know he's Dusty Rose by the end. They're like, wait, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were Dusty Rose, but now you're giving me, like, pizza with pig's feet on it. And that yes. doesn't seem like something Dusty Rose would do, so maybe you're not. I do think the one image in this, there's, so Dusty Rose brings three pizzas, and then she offers him a slice, and Dusty Rose comes up with two slices and just eats them both at the same time. And in that moment, there's something that I realized that this, in the same place, everything that makes Dusty Rose who he is an amazing and everything that they use to kind of make this gimmick that almost feels like a mockery could be the exact same things. <laughs> That's an interesting thought. What, can you tell me a little bit more about that? I know, because just to me, like, you could look at that as almost like, oh, he's like this big fat guy. He takes too much. He's selfish. He's got two slices, and they, she just offered him one. And you can also look at it as a man who... Not only does he deliver a pizza, but he is so relational that before you get off the front porch, he's offering him pizza. And Dusty Rose is the kind of guy that he's not you offer him a slice. He's going to take two, but but not in a bad way, in a way that like he's expanding things. He's making it work. It's just that you can look at the energy and you can say like, okay, so I think is he a common man that created an American dream? And that's what the N.W.A. is. Or is he a guy who had this American dream in his own ego, but he was really just a common man? And that's what WWF is almost an inverse of it. And so, you know, they're both true because there's the common man and there's the American dream. 
But is the American dream shared and collective and big in NWA? Or was it a weirdo who just kind of had like his own American dream? But he's really just a common man. And that's why the fans relate to him, because they're just common people, too. And there's not that big dream that goes with it. But it's using the same material, looking at the same man and not really changing anything. Just just a different perspective of it. <laughs> that's um, I can definitely see that. Uh yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe the American dream is that you just have a minimum wage job, but you do it happily, I guess, maybe. I, I don't here, know. Here, you know? yeah, here it is. But that's pretending like also, though, and that's fair. And that's fine. Like I would if I could have a job that I felt like Dusty Rose, I don't care what the job would be. Sure, but, yeah. You know, so I'm not knocking that. But I also can't pretend like that this dream uh, expanded so big that it was shared in a way that he took on Ric Flair and Harley Race and ran a company and embodied everything in professional wrestling that WWF wasn't. Right. So it's a little bit bigger than being garbage man at the same time, even though there's nothing wrong with that. It's, <laughs> it's also the fact he's a three-time NWA champion, and we're pretending like, like he upset Ted DiBiase with a roll-up. Right. Yep, yep. And, uh, whew, uh, yeah, so... These vignettes are what they are. I will say, if somebody uh, delivered my pizza this happily, I would certainly um, enjoy meeting them. Um, so yeah. he's like, if that's what you're going for, that's fine. Um, he does have the vignette where he comes on the uh, the Brother Love show. Um, Brother Love makes some cheeky comments about hard times, um, which I guess is connected to Big Boss Man, but I think we all know what it's really about. So uh, Dusty shows up, and he's wearing like some of Big Boss Man's stuff, and a wacky tie-dye shirt, and says, oh, it's not hard times, it's only good times. And I guess that kind of summarizes all of what Dusty is going to go through in WWF. Yeah, to me, this almost was worse than the vignettes, because Dusty Rhodes is a gimmick. The human being's a fucking gimmick. So you got a gimmick ignoring itself in order to try to find a gimmick. Yeah, yeah. And he's reaching, and like, it's just like, Dusty Rhodes is also tie-dye. Dusty Rhodes doesn't need to wear a tie-dye. Dusty Rhodes um, has natural lines that come organically. He doesn't need, like, he's not the ultimate warrior. Like, he's going to turn his music back on. It's a great theme song. So, again, WWF can get it right and get it wrong at the same time. But, like, then we're going to turn it on and dance to it instead of, like, having a promo because, you know, we're just a, we're, we're a side attraction right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So... Dusty Rhodes, not um, quite as you might want to see him, but, uh, you know, he is here, he's charismatic, and uh, maybe we'll see that big boss man feud, because really, I would really love to see that, so it's mentioned here, I want to see it for sure. I would too. I think the one thing I put during the Brother Love segment was, I don't understand why we have all these conversations about whether Akeem and Virgil were caricatures or ribs of Dusty Rhodes. The greatest caricature and rib of Dusty Rhodes is this guy on stage in the Brother Love uh, segment. Well, it was the uh, definitely the culmination of, yeah. uh, of that. And, yeah, if you ever want to say that, that WWE wasn't taking any shots at Dusty, then I have to ask, why Why are they naming, like, the, the, the lowly servant guy after him? And why, why do they have a big dream character who dances around ridiculously? And, um, you know, why do these things exist? So... I don't know. Ask Bruce Pritchard, but don't, because who the hell no. wants to hear what he has to say? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. So that is – I don't know how I'm going to feel. This is another reason I wanted to go heavy on Dusty, because 
I don't know how much it's going to feel like Dusty versus Ted DiBiase going forward and how much it's going to feel like Dusty on that stage with Brother Love. Yeah, and I really don't know. I haven't seen – I've seen some of the um, Randy Savage feud, and I have liked it, but I know a lot of it is not just Dusty and Savage. It's also uh, Sapphire and, you know, Sherry, yeah. and um, there will be a lot of other things tacked on to Dusty Rhodes, so it'll it'll be a mix of stuff, I think. I think Dusty said in his book that he looks at this as like he took a movie role for a year and a half and made really good money playing a playing a role. <laughs> hey, definitely can't blame him for that. He'll be back in time to sit next to Jim Ross and make him uncomfortable while Vader and Stan Hansen kill each other. So, you know, it'll be it'll be what it'll be. Yeah, it's almost like he never left. But yet we got this all over here, too. Uh, yeah, really, it does feel that way sometimes. So I think he had to leave long enough to make sure that uh, Ric Flair got his way and like Slicker never got a title. Like the only things that yeah. never make sense in history are always tied to making sure like Slicker never wins the world title. <laughs> it is actually the central column on which wrestling is built. So yes. There you go. <laughs> oh man, so we just did a lot. Okay. We did a lot. We did like uh, half a show's worth on Dusty Rhodes, and that it was yes. well well deserved. Great conversation. So we do have other stuff to cover. Um, We'll try to do it all justice. We have three other bonus matches, and uh, I'll go through them here. And, again, they're also on Twitter and on uh, www.lopforums.com. I have to type that whole URL, so do check it out. Uh, These are all Greg Valentine matches. We're giving a little tribute to the Hammer this week, and I I love Greg Valentine, so I am very happy to talk about this stuff. Our first match we want to cover is from June 12th. Primetime Wrestling, right on the network there for you. It is uh, Greg Valentine taking on the Blue Blazer, a.k.a. Owen Hart. And i got to say, sometimes a great match, I don't even have that much to say about it. It's a great match. It's a match that should be seen. And this, to me, is that. I had a great time with this. You've got Owen Hart. You've got Greg Valentine. These guys are brilliant at what they do. They're great with their offense, with their selling, with everything, basically, that they mix together in this one. All I can really say is I had a great time with this match. I'm glad we checked it out. I like what Alfred Hayes. He has a call on it saying that the Blue Blazer might be being overcautious because it's the Madison Square Garden because the match mm. starts and stays very slow. Like, it's like the Blue Blazer is timid to get off the ground. So I think that's a very good call in the early parts of that matchup between uh, the Blazer and Valentine. Absolutely so, and uh, you wonder if there's truth to it or not. I don't know. Owen's been to WrestleMania at this point, so I don't know if Madison Square Garden really intimidated him or not. Uh, He's going to beat Bret Hart at Madison Square Garden. I know that much. He will in about five years' time, so that's exciting to think (laughs) about. Woo, boy. Um, So, yeah, it's uh, they they take some time for the match. They get some time for the match, which is very nice. Um, And, uh, yeah, you get uh, just nice touches. You get Owen... And you think of him as, like, the high flyer in this era, but, like, at one point, he just has an arm ringer on Valentine, and he's just wrenching it and wrenching it and wrenching it, and then Valentine is selling it so well, and the crowd is popping for it, and it's an arm ringer, you know? So, like, (laughs) there's not much that Owen uh, can't do, in my opinion, in the ring. Like, he's just a brilliant in-ring performer. He he is someone that I am as curious as anyone else to completely – uh, dissect and understand because I want to say if he's more naturally talented than Bret Hart, then Bret Hart has to be either more sophisticated or just love the business more or just be more horizontal. You know, I don't know if that's true or not. So 
I don't know. This might be one that we leave this whole series still not knowing what Owen's full potential was or wasn't. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, if anything, we may know what it is and just see yeah. that it never gets realized. Um, Bret Hart definitely had the advantage of being older. I want to say a little bigger, I think. Yeah, I think um, so, yes. Yeah, for sure. And definitely his mindset set him up better to be successful, like on a world championship level, because we all know everyone says Owen Hart, very easygoing. Um, you know, this isn't a guy who ever would have like demanded to be world champion or anything. And I yeah. don't know if Brett did, but he definitely, I think, made his intention to progress clear. Whereas Owen Hart maybe was just kind of more happy to take whatever role he had. And people say he was going to retire in like 99 yeah. and all this stuff. And, you know, who knows for sure. But, like, it's definitely a different personality entirely between them. That's probably the biggest difference that you can locate. Yeah, desire might be the only difference because Owen did not want his family, at least according to what we're told, to ever be in wrestling. He was, like, a like a funny guy. He didn't take it that seriously. So the one thing I don't know is could Owen – not could Owen Hart, would Owen Hart – have been able to consistently take guys like the British Bulldog and Diesel and take them to their highest place and just like change the game because I just don't know. It's not a talent thing, but would the desire to do that be enough to do kind of what Bret Hart's going to do in the prime to be in 93 and be wrestling Jerry Lawler and like still having the best matches somehow with anybody they put him against? Probably. We'll see. You know, that kind of thing. I don't know. Who knows? I will say this, and this is just my own opinion, and some people, I don't know if they want to roast me at the stake or what, so bring it on. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Spectral Gent. Talk to me about uh, my my disrespect towards Bret Hart if you want. But Owen Hart versus British Bulldog, 1997 for the European Championship on Raw. Better match than SummerSlam 1992, Bret versus Bulldog, my opinion. Uh, Owen Hart wrestling Jerry Lawler on an episode of Wrestling Challenge in 1993, better than any Bret Hart-Jerry Lawler match that I have seen. So, to me, these questions are already answered. I don't know about Diesel. Uh, That's a fucking miracle. I don't know how anybody did that. But, um, you know, uh, I I don't know. A lot of of Owen's matches with the same opponents, I think, actually already are better than Bret's matches. So, uh, take what you will from that, and we will try to unearth that in more detail as we go forward. I have to say, number one, I have zero response one way or the other because I don't remember the Owen Hart matches. Uh, but the fact that you had them on <laughs> in the chamber ready to unload. We're in the bonus section. The cannons are coming out. I had to walk away from the computer because, oh, dear, I have more respect for you for being my colleague because now I know what it's like to be on the other side of the person <laughs> causing trouble. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm glad to give you that experience. Uh, I'm very passionate about Owen Hart. I I, I love his career quite a bit. So, yes, I'm definitely a guy who will come out in favor of Owen Hart whenever I can. And here, I don't know, we'll see as we go forward. But I think that's something very closely to look at. Owen and Brett are going to have a lot of the same opponents. So let's just look very carefully at kind of who had it better with whom. I am for that. I Personally, I am a major, major Owen Hart fan. You know, I'm trying to make sure that everybody, Ultimate Warrior's got to get the best look he can get and the worst look, the honest look. Bret Hart's got to get the same thing, you know. And I think the, even the Bret Hart one might be different at different times because uh, I could I could see with Bret Hart going through the 90s and being one way or the other and one way being he just he does not live up to the absurd hype that the, the Bret Hart and the Bret Hart fans Give him, 
But I could also be on the other side and see, is he the closest thing to Hulk Hogan in that era in that, is he the only one that's involved? Like from, let's say, 92 to 97, the only main event guy that stays a main event guy and is consistently there. Mm, yeah. So I have big questions about Bret Hart, as I think we should. Like, we're not taking any – I have big questions about Shawn Michaels, my my favorite WWF wrestler, my second favorite behind Lex Luger in the early 90s. But, like, I didn't enjoy some of the stuff he did, and I don't know what his legacy will be in the first half of his career when we take it as a whole. So nobody's getting a pass here. You know, nobody. nobody. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I like to think that's something we do well is that we question everything. Definitely our minds have been changed at times in the series. Sometimes what we expected to see is exactly what we saw, sometimes not. Uh, so so we'll go along and we'll just see what we can unearth as we go through here. Yeah. Um, sometimes, sometimes I'll say it on the air just to wake myself up and make sure I'm not in any set narrative. So, you know. Yeah, it's well worth doing. Everyone should uh, challenge themselves a little bit at times. So it's a good idea. I don't know who won this matchup. <laughs> uh, Greg Valentine does win this match. He uh, counters a flying crossbody into a slam and holds on the tights for the win. And you got to expect that because Owen Hart, uh, for whatever reason, is kind of consigned to that uh, barely above a jobber role. He's like a jobber with a name and a gimmick. Um, mm. So you won't see a lot of Owen Hart wins in this era, but you will see a lot of really good Owen Hart performances. So credit to him, as always. Absolutely. We're we're also about to stumble and accidentally I think stumble into a fucking ridiculous storyline that goes through Saturday night's main event that I didn't even know was there. So <laughs> yeah, these next two matches I did not know they would be connected by this thread, um, but they are. So so we're gonna get into more of what Greg Valentine is up to in the next match from July third, nineteen eighty nine WWF Primetime Wrestling. We have uh, the Rockers taking on that team that nobody remembers, the New Dream Team. That isn't even together anymore, but here they are reunited as Jimmy Hart clients, Greg Valentine and Dino Bravo. Um, so, yeah, it's another nice look at the Rockers. It's another nice look at Greg Valentine. Dino Bravo is also there. I still don't hate him like some people do, but, uh, you know, he's, still, he's Dino Bravo. So it is what it is. Um, this, was, this was very fun, I think. Uh, I didn't like it quite as much as the Owen match, but uh, there's some great Valentine stuff in here. Um, I will always praise his offense, just those hammering blows. He's very well named. Uh, the, the heels do some shtick. They hug each other at one point, which is like the ultimate heel move to, to hug your, uh, your partner for whatever reason. Uh, probably Sean, and you may agree with this, is uh, the best look in this match because he gets a hot tag that is just hot, hot, hot towards the end here. Yeah, this is actually my favorite of the three. So, oh, very nice, very nice. I, I would say the thing I liked about this is number one, the Rockers just do a lot of really cool stuff, and it's not the big gimmicky stuff. Like, right. Shawn Michaels is about to throw a standing drop kick, I think, to knock Dino Bravo out of the ring. But Dino Bravo is big, and a standing drop kick might not even knock him down, much less out of the ring. So Michaels like moves like moves backward three steps so that he can run forward three steps and do the drop kick in order to make it strong enough to knock Dino Bravo out of the ring. Yeah, no, great, great touch. I agree with that. Um, Marty Jannetty, I think, reverses Dino Bravo at one point, and, he, and it's just little things like he goes down to his knees to reverse him into the corner because it's like he couldn't reverse him if they just go straight standing up. So they hit a lot of things like that. Uh, I think the Rockers. I didn't know how I was gonna feel. I thought I'd be more a little more down on them, but I don't know if it's the effect of the Brain Busters or something else. But I feel like the Rockers are better than so far than what their gimmick might be like they're not just 
a ripoff of the Rock and Roll Express. They're not just good looking. They're not just big spots, but they're really coming together and being able to put on like really uh, good storytelling tag matches with their opponents. No, I would have to agree with that. I mean, I'd, I'd have to take a close look at all the teams, but probably my third favorite team in the company after Brain Busters and Demolition right now. You know, they're, they're definitely stepping ahead of, like we talked about before, maybe don't feel so much hype for the Hart Foundation, for the British Bulldogs when they were around. I would take the Rockers over a lot of uh, historically loved teams. I wanted the Hart Foundation to be better than the Rockers because as serious as Bret Hart takes life, he needs to be better than Shawn Michaels at some point. <laughs> he he may be yet, um, but not yeah. as a tag team. I don't think I would hardly ever take the Hart Foundation over the Rockers unless we're talking 1997, and that's that's a different Hart Foundation entirely. I've always thought if Bret and Shawn both kind of, let's say their careers both ended, like the back injury for Michaels and going to WCW for Bret, they would be very, very uh evenly matched but I, I when you take the second half of michael's career it's just to me it's not even but that's neither here nor there um i love again lord alfred hayes commentary because jimmy hart lights up dino bravo and greg valentine for getting dominated in the beginning of the match and lord alfred hayes says you never hear jimmy hart talking like this to his wrestlers but he's doing it right now and then they get in the ring and the match completely changes and they're talking about that's why it matters to have a manager because that is what happens. Yeah, yeah, some nice Jimmy Hart stuff here. Um, in the next match we'll talk about, uh, he spent some time yelling through the megaphone at Frankie because uh, it's a Coco Beware yeah. match. So that, you know, Jimmy Hart, he's keyed in, you know. We haven't been as high on him as others, and I think it's uh, for a good reason. But he does some things really well. I would still take him over a lot of managers, you know, he just happens to be in a very packed era here. This also could have been an amazing ending because I was legit surprised. There's a roll up and then a clothesline, so a roll over into a roll up, and it's actually Dino Bravo and Greg Valentine who get the win, and I wasn't expecting it, so I was kind of pleased with it. But then the whole thing goes to hell. <laughs> so uh, Ron Garvin, Ronnie Garvin who is doing an angle where he is a referee because he lost a match to Greg Valentine that cost him his wrestling career. He's a referee. He comes out, and he reverses the decision. And uh, i got to say, I love Ronnie Garvin, but I hate tattletale characters. I always question, well, where were you? And all these other things happen. Yeah. Why are you just pursuing your own agenda? You know, it's not honorable. It's not uh, fair to everyone. So, you know, you can't just do one. You kind of got to do it all. And, no, Ronnie Garvin clearly has it out for Greg Valentine because it's not the last time we will see him do this exact thing. Yeah, because uh, the Rockers, too, are going to behave the same way Coco Beware, which really shows what baby faces are, is that they're <laughs> going to get a win they don't deserve and then drop kick the person out of the ring on top of it. So why, do they, why does he not then reverse the reverse decision? <laughs> this is what I don't even understand what the decision is. Is it a disqualification or like... You don't get disqualified for what they did. You know, if anything, I was like, okay, restart the match. You know, let them, let them keep going if you really are in the interest of fairness. But, no, you're just out here to give the win to the other team and just uh, kind of be a dick, Ron Garvin. So, yeah. there you go. It's so bad that a baby face is going to find themselves called out by Jack Tunney. <laughs> that, that's how you know it's bad because that, you know, that couldn't happen um, yeah. in most cases. So, Ooh, all right. so I think really uh, well, I don't know if it was BK who asked about Nick Patrick versus Danny Davis. I would say both of them pale in comparison to Ronnie Garvin, the referee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh my, I uh, I kind of love that. So so take that for what you will. Uh, our last match from July 10 prime time is uh, another Greg Valentine match. Greg Valentine versus Coco Beware, which I think is cool. This is doubly cool because uh, Coco Beware. They comment a lot on it, and again, it's Alfred Hayes doing um, some actually really good commentary because yes. he's not following any script. He's just commenting on what he sees. And says so Coco came in here, and he's just, like, slugging it out with Greg Valentine, and you wouldn't expect it, but he's doing a great job. And the reason Alfred Hayes says that is because he is. Coco Beware shows another thing that he's good at because he really just goes toe-to-toe slugging it out with Valentine, and uh, he looks awesome doing it. And once again, I have to praise Coco Beware, and of course Greg Valentine, who is one of the best sluggers around, he does a great job as well here. I absolutely love this matchup. I love the commentary because they're saying he's 12 pounds heavier than he used to be. I don't know if Lord Alfred Hayes is saying he's fat or that he's built muscle. Tony kind of interprets it later as muscle, but they're saying maybe he has to change his style because he's a different weight than he used to be. And he does, and he slugs it out, and he gives Greg Valentine just as good as he gets. Yeah, which which is impressive because it's Greg Valentine. Yeah. You know, I I wouldn't if I was a brick wall, you know, I wouldn't want to mess with Greg Valentine slugging it out with me. So, so yeah, another big prop to Coco Beware for a great performance. Uh, the ending of this is just very similar to the last one. Valentine uh, gets the pin, his feet are on the ropes. Garvin comes out, and somehow Coco wins. Guess what? You don't get disqualified for putting your feet on the yeah. ropes. The match okay. continues. That's how it's supposed to go. I was really hoping. I'm like, restart this match. It was like, it was good. It could It wasn't even that long. So you got more time. Do more match. Be great. But no, it's just somehow Greg loses. And, um, you know, fuck you, Greg Valentine, apparently. Yeah, I, I am a child of the WCW television title and Ric Flair as a world champion. I've always felt... If you can scoop somebody close to the rope, which is a telltale by itself, and then throw your body horizontally in the air and put your feet on the rope and get the pin and the referee doesn't see it, then that deserves the pin because, by God, that's artful. Mm, yeah, absolutely so. Whew. Okay, <laughs> is that the end of the show or, or the end of the bonus? <laughs> end of the bonus. We got a show. And uh, we're going to end this show on a really strong note. But, man, I, I have to say, this is not the best Saturday night's main event uh, up to that uh, final match, which I am excited to talk about. But whew, all I right, think it's a little bit I'll time. enjoy that you didn't, but I, I will also at the same time not blame you for not enjoying it. So. <laughs> all right, so. I'm interested. I'm interested. Uh, I know one thing we can enjoy. This is the yes. July 29 Saturday night's main event from 1989. And the uh, Rapid Fire promos are back on the start of the show. I, I thought they were gone for good, so I was yeah. happy. Pleased to see them here. They can uh, sit along with Big Blue Cage and Raised Ramp as uh, some of the biggest stars of yes. inanimate objects of our era. I love that, too, because I was so excited. And I also said they're, they're all playing up the fact that this is a summer special. Yeah. And the way I compared this on paper right here, as you said that, to uh, kind of the arena, the decorated arena. Like, theming your show in any way makes me a happy uh, viewer. For sure. Hey, that's one way WCW was always better than WWF. Yes. Those great sets. I love those. Yeah, uh, even this, when you say anything was better, I still feel like, like wrestling police are going to break in and take us away in the middle <laughs> of our show. <laughs> if they were going to, they would have done it by now. <laughs> they, could, they could come at me if they want to, because my crimes are... 
as long as my arm. So that's awesome, man. I love it. We got Savage. That's also we got Rapid Fire and we got Savage back up front. You know, which he used to be, I think, in the IC title days. So we got Savage and Sherry Summer Barbecue, and they are going to cook the world's biggest hot dog, Miss Fan. <laughs> and a roast beef cake. Uh, you know, he, he does look like a hot dog to me. He looks like he's yes. too much meat stuffed into a casing. And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. Guess what? I don't like Bruce Beefcake. Shocking, I know, to everybody out there. Uh, he's gonna come on next. He's gonna look sexually excited about cutting hair <laughs> and making Sherry sweep it up. So we have another element to his uh, perversion now that we can look to with horror. It's also the ultimate baby face who isn't good at being what the rest like Hulk Hogan is so sophisticated in his rhetoric. Bruce Beefcake is like the obvious version of it. So he just starts with forget what they just said. <laughs> like you, you're supposed to make us forget what they said, not just say forget what they said, but that's like uh, his trying to be the whole next to Hulk Hogan, I guess. Yeah, for sure. There was a thing. There was a thing on Twitter and somebody just said, uh, you know, Basically, you're just saying, well, Brutus Beefcake was actually fine, and if you think he was bad, then you're just mean. Well, I guess I'm mean then, because I don't think he's really very good at anything. I won't deny that he was very over at times, and uh, I won't I won't pretend he wasn't. I think he got a lot of favorable presentation to be that way, but that's uh, that's another story. But just in terms of things he did, man, show me one thing he did well, and then maybe we can have a conversation, but I have yet to see anything that impresses me at all about Brutus Beefcake, except maybe his ability to be present while Greg Valentine had great tag matches around him. So, yeah. Yeah, he was over. I've said that on the show. Sure. But, you know, almost all these baby faces were. But what what was the comment if, if you say he's not what? Uh, if you think that he wasn't good, then you're mean. Was, okay, good. He's not good. Uh, you need to unpack your statement because you're the one making the claim right now that is obvious that he's good. And if not, you have to have some kind of so like show me your list, like break that down. Prove me wrong. Don't just make an accusation and and then and then say a mean thing like like define good number one for me and then like prove it. Link it up with Brutus the Barber Beefcake and then we can have a conversation. That's the way. That's not. That's not the way, actually, of Twitter. You know, we we got our takes out there, and uh, that's the important thing. So, yeah, don't write me a dissertation or anything. Just tell me one thing he was good at. One sentence about a thing that he was good at, and then we'll we'll talk about that. But yeah, beyond that, sorry, you know, I don't see it. I don't see anything yet. No. Uh, we go from not good to about as good as it gets with Bobby Heenan and the Brain Busters. Man, it still boggles my mind at times that this was a team that existed, this pairing of just three of the greatest talents, I think, in wrestling history, just all put together, and, uh, like, three of the greatest talkers as well, and uh, it's almost a shame that Heenan does all the talking, and you'll rarely see that from me, because Arn Anderson, he will get to say just a bit later in this show, and that bit is as good as anything I've heard in a long time, so... Yeah. I'd love that segment coming up later. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's one of my favorites, for sure. I've been waiting for it. I also love being from this side of the track for the first time doing WWF. We get comments like, you know, oh, man, Lex Luger, like Ric Flair left the company and Lex Luger couldn't carry the company. This is a the WWF had Hulk, the Hulk Hogan era, and then in three years they had Harley Race, Dusty Rose, the Brain Busters, and Ric Flair. Like, at one point, I was thinking, like, did WCW shut down? 
<laughs> during this era did they take time off? So like, who was supposed to do what against WWF having its maybe its best era of all time plus the top talent of the NWA and WCW? It's ridiculous what WWF has during this time. Yeah, it shows you the money they have, and you know, for all we might feel about Vince, uh, most people it seems rather would work for Vince than uh, a lot of yeah. the guys who were in charge of WCW in this time. Uh, I've yet to hear anyone say anything good about Jim Hurd's uh, ability to run a wrestling company. So, you know, it is what Absolutely. it is. Uh, the demolition. Um, they always keep their cool and they will always keep their belts. <laughs> and we will find uh, both of those things are not true in time. So After that, if you're an Elvis fan, this is your day because oh, you're going to hear every song that he's ever put forth. <laughs> Honky uh, Tonk Man is here clinging to relevance, and uh, he makes the puns and the references. He's going to make Hogan face the music. Hogan is here, and he has even more music puns and Elvis references. And, <laughs> yeah, like you said, if you if you want to hear the entire, um, you know, uh, singles list that Elvis ever released, then you're going to hear it in this promo. So Yeah, so like the 24-inch pythons are going to shake, rattle, and roll you. They're going to drive off in your pink Cadillac. Uh, because you ain't nothing but a hound dog, says the Hulkster. That's <laughs> something about stepping on your blue suede shoes somewhere in there. <laughs> oh my gosh. So this is, this is the first match we're going to see. Honky Tonk Man versus Hulk Hogan for the WWF Championship. And man, it strains credulity, uh, past the breaking point to imagine that in 1989, Honky Tonk Man could be any kind of threat to Hulk Hogan, could even harm Hulk Hogan in any single way. Yeah. Like, he could have brought a gun to the ring, and I'm like, Hogan's not going to sell that. Why would he? You're the honky-tonk man, for God's sake. Uh, he tries to remind us that he's the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. That feels so long ago already. So I think that's why you, that's a smart analysis, because we get, we get Honky's greatest hits at the beginning of the show, I think, to remind us. We do, and they're all just honky-tonk man hitting people with guitars. I thought we went forward to see a Jeff Jarrett show for a second, but thank oh, God we yeah. didn't. So. Okay, here's a, here's a, I don't know what. Well, let me breathe for a moment. I think honky-tonk man is better than Jeff Jarrett. I agree. I was just thinking that, oh. and the reason is Jeff Jarrett probably has like some better matches in his catalog, but honky-tonk man had the good um, sense to only exist for, like, a couple of years and then go away, mm. whereas Jeff Jarrett had to, like, dominate everything he touched for, God, seems like 30 years, maybe? Like, is that too yeah. much? I don't know. It feels that way. So, so yeah. I also, uh, God. So let's say it's 30, 30 years of Jeff Jarrett and one year of Honky Tonk Man, and one of them was over. One of them actually drew a dime. Yes, thank you, for God's sake. We've been very hard on Honky Tonk Man. But, hey, he did his job. He drew house shows. He went away when he wasn't inter- well, he was never interesting, but he went away when he wasn't drawing anymore. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would take him. That's uh, I, I would agree with that. I have no idea what to take is either way on that one, but there there you go. Surely we we would be lambasted for that one, at least by some people. I, I, I meet plenty of people who say – um, you know, Jared wasn't that bad. Jared was underrated. Jared had bad circumstances. Jared was good at this and this and this. Okay, sure, you know, Jared's got his fans out there. Um, but for me, man, God, he just never does anything for me at all. Uh, and he, he stood on top of some of the worst eras and the least successful eras. And just, uh, yeah, I got nothing much for Jed Jarrett going on. 
I don't know if this is always gendered, but I know as a man who, when I was young and didn't really understand language, there probably was a time in my life where someone who I'm in a significant relationship and I could say, is there something wrong? And they would say, no, everything's fine. And I'd be oh, good. Okay, so everything is good. I misread uh, the mood right now. Jeff Jarrett was fine. <laughs> he was fine. So, like, don't, don't, don't argue with me because I agree with you. He was fine. Very, quite a technician. He was, he was, he was fine. Honky Tonk Man was over and made money. Jeff Jarrett was fine, though. <laughs> I can't wait to get the, the next uh, round. Of, I'm glad I'm not on Twitter right now. So <laughs> we should all. I don't know, but that, it, it, he was fine, wasn't he? He was, you know, he was, he was. Yeah. Okay. Hulk Hogan is uh, <laughs> a Honky Tonk Man is the greatest IC champion of all time. He's hamming it up. There's gonna be Honkamaniacs. The one thing I do like about Honky Tonk Man, he, I don't know if he did this during his Intercontinental Title reign. But he has consistently, uh, since then, had a narrative that he, that all the fans are there to see him. And, you know, not even Gene Okerlund can shake him off of that right now. <laughs> no, he really kind of always had that. Um, it's so weird because you never get a hint of this on the shows that we cover. But he actually came in as a babyface. And they tried to play this gimmick, like, very sincerely as a babyface for a while. And the fans rejected him, which we know is very unusual for any babyface mm. in this era. So they actually did pivot very well. They did, like, some, I don't know if it was real, but, like, a mail-in campaign where people said if they liked Honky Tonk Man or not. And they didn't. And he went off, like, the deep end. is like, oh, well, it's all a lie. The fans all love me. And he became basically the Honky Tonk Man that we know. Um, so yeah, he's sort of been in this delusional state and I think if anything, he should have pushed it harder. I would have liked him a little bit more if he had done that, but it's always kind of been there. And it's one of the things that I kind of like at least a little bit about this yeah. guy, which, which isn't much, but it's something. I agree. Cause he's already absurd. So he's got to go to another level right. of absurd to be able to hit that mark. And then Gene is always, you know, he could be over with the fans and Gene would pretend like he's not. So it's a good pairing. Uh, <laughs> Gene, uh, Gene's having a hard tells. time in a minute here. Um, they, uh, so so we, we throw back to Vince for a second, and he just flat out says, well, Hogan is the greatest champion of all time, so I guess we know, <laughs> you know what the story is about that. We go back to Gene and Hogan. They talk, oh, Hogan, you have so many things. You have uh, your movie. Do uh, you remember your movie? And you also have Savage and Zeus and Beefcake and your movie. How can you concentrate? And Hogan is like, he goes to this weird place where he goes sometimes where he has to, like, threaten Gene Okerlund. And uh, I don't know. It's so strange. Like, Hogan is not nice to Gene Okerlund, and he should be because, man, there's no bigger fanboy around. So, But it's another great strategy there because even as Gene is that much of a fan, every time he comes against Gene, it's to play off that the Hulkamaniacs would, would not even ask that question. They wouldn't even go that far. So, you know, he's not only is he kind of – making Gene not ask hard questions, but he's also letting the fans know not to ask hard questions because what would happen to them next? So it's a very sophisticated game. He also says, and this is so true, and this is why I tried to understand during the Savage Hogan feud. So he's like, Gene is all these things. You got all these things going on. The big movie, Zeus is coming after you. And Hogan says, that's just the way I like it. I like all these things going on. And I think there's no excuse for how he treated Randy Savage as a friend. But I do think in Hogan's world that if Macho Man had a best friend who was also trying to sabotage him and take his woman at the same time, that would be exciting, man. Like, you know, rise to the occasion. Look what's <laughs> happening. 
But, you know, most people just don't operate like that. But I think Hogan likes it like that, just how he said. Right. It's just the same thing we talked about. Like, we, a guy like Savage, everything gets to him, and sometimes that fuels him, and sometimes it uh, detracts from him. Nothing yes. gets to Hogan. You know, he is the same unstoppable juggernaut. If he's against, like, a, a kitten and a grandmother or against, like, a, an entire yes. army, like, he would bring the same energy to those fights. So... That might be oh, – I think I just solved the WWF versus WCW. So in WWF, Hogan was facing people like Randy Savage and then characterizing them in a way that made them sound like the Dungeon of Doom. In WCW, instead of have, having Hogan against legitimate people, they, they bought, brought in a bunch of characters who were based on the characterization of Hulk Hogan against his opponents. So what the Dungeon of Doom physically manifests as – is Hulk Hogan's rhetoric against people who are not like that. And WCW just skipped the part where Hulk Hogan has to actually turn them into monsters. <laughs> that is a complicated but striking thought, and I love it. And, uh, yeah, it's probably as good a symbol as anything. Is why that didn't work, because part of what made Hogan work is that he would say these people were one-dimensional monsters, but they really weren't most of the time. But uh, if you just take Hogan's word for it and let him do whatever he wants, then, yes, he's going to fight the one-dimensional monsters. And the one dimension they have is probably something stupid, like saying yes and no or some other moronic yeah. thing. So, so yeah, there's a, that's a very great insight. I appreciate that a lot. And, Thank you. And that's, that's what keeps a whole audience, because if you're a Hogan fan, you got to go through the whole thing where you're like, oh, Randy Savage isn't so bad. Oh, he is kind of bad. Oh, he's a monster. You know, you got to go through Hogan's whole thing. <laughs> But then there's like the other 50 percent of us who are there to say, no, Randy Savage is Randy Savage. So you got everybody. But like, I can't I can't be there for like Taskmaster's father or whatever the hell he was, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, there's not there's no other side of the story to, to see or to understand. It doesn't exist. They're just like cackling guys in a cave <laughs> that just, you know, and one's a shark and one's a. I don't even know what these stupid people are. I think there was a leprechaun in there. I don't know. It was it was it was a different thing entirely. So Absolutely. So Hulk Hogan's gonna take on the honky tonk man in, in a match that if nothing else is so WWF eighties and Jesse Ventura is gonna have the guts to say, I'll grant you Hogan is the favorite, but <laughs> Oh, man. You know that grandma and that kitten that I talked about as kind of the yeah. same energy they brought to this match? Because, yeah, like, uh, they try. They try. Like, the Honky Tonk yeah. Man's got his guitar, and Jimmy Hart's, like, jumping on Hogan, and Hogan gets hit with the guitar at one point, and, and, and the referee misses this, and I'm like, where's Ron Garvin? Where, where's Ronnie mm. Garvin to come out and solve this? And that's why you can't run an angle like this, because every time something happens, you'll be like, where is this guy? Um... And then it's worse because then Hogan uses the guitar and the referee even sees him. And even still, nobody cares. Like, no one calls Hulk Hogan on this. So you don't really care about the rules of the match. You just really wanted to uh, push your own agenda. And it couldn't be more obvious what you're trying to do here. So, <sighs> yes. yeah. There's so, a, yeah. I don't know if he says it in this match, but there are moments in the WWF where you, the only thing that can happen is Vincent Mann says, the referee has decided to be lenient in this one. <laughs> Yeah, something like that is said. I think Ventura says, well, I guess the referee just decided to let everything go in this one. And, uh, yeah. and it's true. Like, uh, oh, man. <sighs> I, yeah. I don't know why they couldn't, like, you, you could have just, 
I guess what would the point have been to make it a no DQ match? It wouldn't have mattered anyway. You know, nobody's yeah. nobody in this era besides like pedantic people like you and me are even complaining about this. Everyone was just there to see Hulk Hogan beat up a guy. So, you know, give the fans what they want, I guess. But it offends my uh, particular sensibilities. I think I am. A, I would offend my WCW fan self. Like I become a softy, and like in the beginning of Honky Tonk Man and Hulk Hogan, I was like, "This is fabulous theater. Like they, these are some characters." Like Hulk Hogan's grinning because I also know that Hulk Hogan loves the Honky Tonk Man character. So I feel like really? even when he's beating him up, he's also I don't know. I just feel like he was he was promoting Honky at the same time because like this is what they are. Then later on they start wrestling, and I'm kind of out at that point, but. The theater at the beginning, that's when I realized Hulk Hogan was red and yellow without the without even the gimmick and the attire. So I was like, my God, that man is red and he's got a yellow mustache. Those are the thoughts I'm having now when I'm watching this stuff. Uh, you've I think you've the, definitely been yeah. um, indoctrinated to the era somewhat. Uh, I think so. I think so. <laughs> uh, so I guess if you look at it that way, it's fine. But man, to me, this was a drag just because like even – if I had known nothing about wrestling, like I could have known how this right. would have gone. I think um, there's just no uh, drama to it. There's no suspense to it. It's like, why did we even have this match? It, it barely had a reason for existing. You know, the only reason is so that Hogan could kick out of his finisher and beat him <laughs> up. And, you know, if he had had a hat to steal, he would have worn it and he mocks him and he does the dance. And so, yeah, I, this is where I think I had one of my thoughts was like, Hogan's up there, and he's just doing this honky-tonk man dance, and he has to, like, own everything his opponent has. And I'm like, this guy could have been Hollywood probably at any time, pass right about here, because yeah. he's just so obnoxious at this point. Yeah, he, he's hanging another gimmick on his wall, you know. <laughs> yep. And it's almost a fair exchange at that time, because if you wrestle Hulk Hogan, you're going to make money. Sure. But Hulk, you, you're not going to come away with, like, you don't get your pride in your money when you deal with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Absolutely not, yeah. Ah, so, yes, this match is over. It might as well not have happened. Um, is this the thing that you were going to enjoy more than me? Yeah, I think I liked it. I liked the early part of it for the theater of it. Uh, that's fair enough. Yeah, I didn't really get anything out of this, but I can see where you're coming from. So Yeah, and I agree with you on the same token because he beat Bossman in a cage. Like, he's going to beat the Honky Tonk Man. Right, he beat Andre. He beat Andre. Yeah. What are you doing here, Honky Tonk Man? Go home. Yeah. Don't even show up to the match. There's no points. Oh, my God. But it's probably the last paycheck. I don't know what Honky Tonk Man did with his life. Maybe he stayed in wrestling and just did independent stuff. But he's mostly out of wrestling except for his little stint in WCW. But, no, he's going to have a team with Greg Valentine because Greg Valentine oh, yeah, gets yeah. stuck with the bad people. Um, so he'll do that. They'll try him as a commentator for a while, but it won't work out. Um, and then, yeah, he'll kind of go away. So you're right. I don't know what he did either after that, but uh, I hope he was happy. You know, I got no problem. He was on Lucha Underground yeah. that one time. You remember that? Oh, man. I don't remember that. He was uh, – when Dario went to jail, he was like the guy who let him out. Like he was just a – he wasn't even Honky Tonk Man, or maybe he was. Maybe in that universe he went on to become a prison guard or something. But he got that cameo, so he he's somewhere out there. He exists. Um, Man, I feel like Lucha Underground is the successor to the successor. <laughs> I think it might have been <laughs> you that told me they always wanted to have Roddy Piper on there. He passed away before they mm. could, and he was just going to be, like, not even show his face, just, like, he was going to be a voice in the shadow. He was going to have some piece of the story. So, yeah, I don't know. Lucha Underground, 
Like, they, they knew what was up. They were going to do some great stuff. I, I will always regret that of all the companies that could have gone out of business, that's the one that yeah. had to stop, and all the other ones get to go on forever. Yes. Yeah. You, you never have to improve, never have to get better, but, like, you just you just continue and continue. <sighs> oh, well. All right, so Jack Tunney has been dragged <laughs> no, out of wherever he's I got to say this can... first before you talk about that. Hulk Hogan, this is just to show how annoying he is. An entire commercial break, he's still out in the ring, he's still posing. It's like Jericho with his list, basically. It's like, this guy won't even go away. Ventura is like, can someone please go tell Hulk Hogan we have to do more matches tonight? So there's your little uh, clue that Hulk Hogan is getting too annoying for uh, for even uh, his own good here. But how much is Hulk Hogan paying the bills when you... After his match, I think when they go to commercial, it's like, we will, we will continue with more Hulkamania or something <laughs> like that. Well, you're right, but this is also, you know, we've talked about the time. Maybe it hasn't happened yet, but this is the time when, when it will start to go down a little bit, um, slowly but steadily. Hulkamania has peaked. It's going to move uh, kind of in the downward direction here a little bit, and it's going to take some time for them to accept that. I think there's a combination. Everybody's got to go down at some point. So I think by himself, even that, like people get tired, people want to move on, people want to see other things. Right. But the thing that we cannot overestimate, I think, is the WWF and Hulk Hogan's attempts to make movies. Oh, absolutely. You're not wrong about that. You know, we're gonna hear we hear far too much about Zeus and No Holds Barred before we're all done here. So I think eighty eighty eight. He goes away to make a movie. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 90, he's going to go away and do some things. Um, 91, he won't. 92, he is. So it's almost every other year he's leaving the company to go do something else. And, and I think at some point you say, fair or unfair, if you want to be doing other things, do other things. And we will choose our favorites from those who are among us. <laughs> There will definitely be some times where Hulk Hogan is gone that I will find much more appealing than when he is there. So uh, we will discuss all of that as we get to it. So now we go to this strange Jack Tunney. Jack Tunney has to come out of the dead to warn Ronnie Garvin. <laughs> That's a damn shame. Like you should be, in, if you could be embarrassed, which babyfaces can't in this area, you should be embarrassed when Jack Tunney has to come in and give you a warning. Absolutely. And uh, you say he's from the dead, but in two and a half years he's going to be. Um, you know, making decisions about Ric Flair and Undertaker and all them. So, yeah. like, he, he's he's around, rarely, but uh, he does exist. I love the Jack Tunney character, I gotta say that. You know, this is the kind of character I would love to see more of now. This is the authority figure you rarely see who's not biased. He's a little biased towards the baby faces, but, you know, it is what it is. So, um, really appreciate that character. Yeah, I would much rather he be there sparingly than to be there weekly hating everybody who's good when he could just fire them if he doesn't like them yeah we will see that trope uh run out of control in time and probably to this day actually so i'll tell you something uh but yes he does threaten uh ron garvin with suspension if he continues to act unprofessional which he is let's be honest you know <laughs> so of course yes. we're told oh well he's just provoked all the time so yeah, just do whatever you want if you, if you are provoked. That's the rule. If you did not know this error, though, you would think, well, he's got to behave at least for a match or two, right? <laughs> Silly. Of course not. So, <laughs> uh, so and, and it's like 
you can't even remove him from, from like you've got to put him in there with the guy that he has the biggest problem with, you know. So you're yeah. really just asking for trouble anyway. Uh, yeah, you got Snuka versus Greg Valentine, and I wrote Greg Valentine is taunting the babyface ref because he knows the babyface ref is out to get him but can't. There's something wrong in that statement. <laughs> there really is. I can't remember. I think it was our prof maybe spoke at this angle in some kind of positive way. And you're going to have to clue me in a little bit because I love Ron Garvin. I love Greg Valentine. I bet they had banger matches just beating the tar out of each other. But this part, the referee part, um, like you said, this is as egregious as Danny Davis or anybody because, like, he couldn't yeah. be more biased out there if he tried. Um, it's, it's at least worse because Nick Patrick to me almost looked like he was under a curse. Like, maybe he sold out. But kind of like Edmund in the Chronicles, like all the old stuff, like he lost his soul. Like he looked unhappy. He almost looked like a prisoner to it. Like Ronnie Garvin's having the time of his life, and there's no question of his morality as he does things just as bad as any referee. Yeah, Nick Patrick looked a little bit tortured and a little bit um, Danny McBride. I'll never forget. Yes. So. <laughs> Thank you. Whole lot. I was going to say that too, but I forgot his name. A whole lot of Danny McBride. Oh, I love that. That vibe is so strong in my memory. But, um, yeah. yeah, no, that's a good point. Ron Garvin's actually having a better time, maybe even than Danny Davis, who was also having a great time being evil. Yeah. And everyone hated him. Um, so, uh, Greg Valentine here, unfortunately, is uh, paired up with Jimmy Snuka, who I said I'm not a fan of as a wrestler, putting aside anything else. Uh, my note says, can Valentine bludgeon? Jimmy snuck it to a good match, and uh, the answer, in my opinion, is no, not really. Um, so, his, his, his idea of a great sequence, and maybe this worked in, like, 1979 or something. Like, his only trick is he does, like, a leapfrog, and then the guy bounces off the ropes, and he, like, kind of grazes their chest with a chop, and then he, like, runs around posing. And that's, like, kind of his whole thing. And then he jumps off the second rope, and they're like, wow, it's so dangerous to jump off the second rope. But no, it's not. I'm sorry. I saw <laughs> Owen Hart backflip off the top rope like two seconds ago, and you're not selling me on this. So I don't know if it's just like a thing out of time or what, but Jimmy Snuka in all his returns, and he has like a thousand returns, and they're all the same, and they're never interesting to me. So I don't know. I'm an anti-Jimmy Snuka wrestler kind of guy. Yeah, this is not great. It's about what you probably would imagine it to be. Uh, I like at one point, uh, Greg has that hard protective sh uh, shin piece, and uh -huh. he uses it, and Jesse's like, can you imagine if Valentine didn't have that protective piece and Snooker's head hit him? <laughs> yes. Um, Pacific Islanders always have the hard skulls, and that's just uh, a weird thing that sort of persists. So it's a nice bit of continuity there. Yeah, it's a nice um, twist, too, because Vince is always super mad about the the protective piece because, like, he's not mad about the snake in the bag or the scissors in the right. bag, but, you know. But, but a that, shin that guard. Shin piece. You know, oh, my yeah. God. That's, that's, a, that's a horror right there. Oh, boy. Um, so, anyway. For no reason. At, sorry, go ahead. No, just for no reason this stuff is about to start happening. Oh, yes. for no. Yeah, what is this? Jimmy Snuka is knocked outside the ring. And Valentine is just, like, kind of kicking at him from inside the ring, which, guess what? You can do that. <laughs> Nobody in history was ever disqualified or even, like, scolded for that. And for this, Ron Garvin is, like, so pissed. He's in his face. He ends up punching Greg Valentine. So not yeah. even for one match, one – this is not even five minutes, like, not even close. Not even for one match can Ron Garvin keep his cool. 
And then uh, just for this, Jimmy Snuka comes back in the ring and he wins. And after the match, Garvin like throws Valentine out of the ring and Ventura's like, where the hell is Jack Tunney? And that's what I'm asking too. Yeah, it's an abomination. Like he pushes him first and then I'm like, okay, that was ridiculous and uncalled for because nothing happened, but okay. And then he punches them in the face and I'm like, oh, wow, okay, throw it all out. Why am I here? What is going on right now? I want I want you to know, um, I hope you take this as a compliment because I mean it. When I think about something bad like happening in my life or my work, I sometimes think about the way you say abomination and like how perfect that is. Like that that is in my mind as like the, the, the key phrase for when something like that happens. So I love that. I think that's a word that somehow came with me out of my fundamentalist religion days of youth. <laughs> so, you know, everything was an abomination. But now not everything is, but by God, when I see him, I can spot him, this man. Oh, uh, you can. You can. That's why you're the mystic, my friend. <laughs> uh, so my, my only thing – sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just, yeah, the only thing I uh, would amuse me out of this and didn't uh, disgust me is that at the very end, Vince McMahon pulls out right out of Bobby Heenan's playbook – the line, wow. oh, well, Greg Valentine probably said something inappropriate to provoke Ron Garvin, which you might recognize is what Bobby Heenan always says when a heel uh, misbehaves and attacks somebody they shouldn't have or attacks the referee. So so thank you once again proving there are not two sides to this. It's just your side and my side. There's no right. There's no wrong. It's all yes. relative. So thank you, Miss McMahon. That's that's so good. I don't know how you read it as anything else. It's the same rhetoric applied to the same situation, but it's a different person standing there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. <sighs> Do you like or don't like? My dad would always say, uh, it all depends on whose ox is being gored. And I think about that mm. a lot now, because if it's your thing that's getting messed with, well, then it, then it's an abomination, as my friend yeah. would say. But if it's somebody else's thing getting messed with you don't like, well, then it's righteous and you love it. Yes. So, oh, yep, I think about that a lot nowadays. This is why you have to have multiple voices in the room, because if you let one side run away with their righteousness, you get people who – or referees who just got warned who cannot help but punch a man for no reason and still feel righteous about it. And that's not that's not good for Valentine. But guess what? That's not good for Ronnie Garvin. Like You don't get to learn how to be a decent human being when you think you did that and, and you were right to do it. And guess what? Shame on you, VKM. Yep, there there may be right and wrong and morals and all this stuff out there, but there's also uh, abuse, and that can happen on any side with too much power. So yeah. be warned, be aware in life and in wrestling. Yeah, the shove, I don't know why, but when he shoved him, I thought, man, that could be some morality. Like maybe he's so mad at something that they did. But then he went to follow up. The punch just seems so much more deliberate and out of control. You got to wind it up, and you already did the shove. So it's just like, okay. I didn't agree with either of them, but I might could have went with you. If you convinced me, I might could go with you on the shove. But, man, that right hand, I'm like, you got a problem. I don't care. Valentine might have a problem, but rugged Ronnie Garvin, you also have a problem, sir. Right. And they don't even really try to hide it. Like, Greg Valentine cost Ron Garvin his in-ring career. I don't know why he put it up. I don't remember that storyline. But he put it up for some reason. Greg Valentine beat him. He cheated. Sure. Uh, But now, yeah, it's just license for Ron Garvin to mess with Greg Valentine's life infinitely 
Um, so yeah, at, at some point, Ron Garvin will be allowed to go back in the ring and sooner rather than later, because like I said, I bet these matches are actually very good. I hope to catch one of them before uh, this feud is over. But yeah, this part of the feud, man, Ron Garvin, you're just being insufferable. You know, you're being as bad as anybody. So yeah. His ego's out of control. Valentine has to do what the heel does, which is like punch the apron on the outside. Like, I'm so angry, but nobody <laughs> cares. And then go to the back. I like to see the heels when they go to the back in this era because they got to just all be like hugging and consoling each other every time that they go through these kind of things. But like I mentioned before, there's nothing more heelish you can do than hug uh, your partner or yes. your manager. You know, uh, how dare you, you know, show any affection to uh, another man, I guess, or some. I don't even know. Like, it's it's weak, it's unmanly or something, but they, they hate hugging in this era. Yeah. So, shame on you, this era, because hugging is very nice, actually. Yeah, it, it, it is, unfortunately, I think, a combination of a play on uh, masculinity and sexuality that is not necessary and is not true. Indeed. But it's also, you can't also get away from the fact, I think we're the only ones that would cover this, it's also just the fact that it is a heel move to humanize each other and care about each other and show the crowd who has dehumanized you that you also have feelings and you also need to be cared for. <laughs> That's a great point. You know, there's a lot that could be unpacked all through that. I'm thinking back to like my middle school days and my friends and I like you, you have to punch each other in the arm to like show affection. Mm. You have to be like violent about it. And if you're not, then, you know. You're, you're probably, you know, something wrong with you. So yeah. it's a whole thing. Um, there's a lot to unpack. I like what you said as well. So uh, think about that at your own risk, I guess. And, it is. I mean, it's, a, it's a tag team a lot of times. And, like, the yeah. heel move is that the tag team, care, they care about each other. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, jeez. Who knew that? Yep. But then again, maybe it's not even the heel because, like, I think if Hacksaw was in a babyface team, like you like you said, he would punch someone in the shoulder, but he's not gonna like he's not gonna go hug or or look out for his partner getting beat up. He might just like beat him up because he got beat up, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not acceptable to do more. Um, yeah, that, that's probably why Jim Duggan and Hogan, you know, is not caring about their friends actually got them more over. So you know, you it, is. it is. It is because that's what to me again the way that Randy Savage. Did not a Hulk Hogan didn't screw Randy Savage. Randy Savage screwed Randy Savage because Randy Savage should have just risen above. Like he should have been better than Hulk Hogan. He should have been bigger. Like the fact that Hulk Hogan could be bigger than him while he's world champion was his greatest sin. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, and definitely, uh, if you want to talk about caring, Savage uh, cared too much. You know, he yes. let it all get to him. So, man, there's a lot of layers to that. Yes, and then it turned into this thing that. I have not yet understood because next up is Sherry and uh, Savage with Jesse, and he's going to be the Macho King. So I've almost already put him as Macho King, and right now I don't fully know what he is. There are moments where I'm like, they are amazing together. They're reversing everything that Liz did. They're like, they're like, they're rising up. And then there are times like I don't understand his outfit. I don't fully know what his gimmick is. I think he might be floundering. I think he might be on the edge of like self-destruction. Like I really yet don't know how to make one thing out of this Randy Savage post Hulk Hogan WrestleMania. Yeah, I think uh, there is a degree of, uh, of finding himself here. But uh, on the whole, I got to say I'm appreciating it a lot. Um, and here we see a, a clip of 
uh, Sherry engaging Beefcake on the Brother Love Show and letting Savage ambush him, and then they cut yes. some of his hair, which was so goddamn satisfying. Yes. <laughs> it's like I couldn't have popped harder for that. Oh my god, that's amazing. I think uh, our prof mentioned that we didn't get a chance to see this, but mentioned a segment where Sherry grabs Hogan's hair and holds him back while Savage gets a chance to attack him. So if you want to just talk about Sherry and leave Savage out for a second, man, Sherry is doing it all. She is incredible. She is adding, I think, tremendously to Randy Savage in a way that maybe even Miss Elizabeth did not do. Oh, make no mistake. I am not saying that they are not doing amazing work mm. because it's amazing. Like the way they're working together, the way they're working differently, but similar to Savage's patterns. I, my only statement was treating Savage, the character as a human being like we do on the mm. show. Yeah. I don't know if this guy is starting to feel better or just starting to fall. Continue. Like, I don't know what direction he's headed in. Like, I know what show he's putting on, but <laughs> I just don't, you know. I don't know if this stuff's good for him. Like when he goes to the back and he leaves Sherry and he closes the door, I don't know what he looks like or feels like. Oof. That's a good question. I mean, uh, I think we're definitely seeing a savage who is totally enabled in a way he has not been before. A guy who is just being allowed to kind of wallow in his own uh, toxic behavior. So I think there's no way deep down this guy is really feeling happy about this. But at the same time, I think there's probably a surface level euphoria yes about being able to do all this stuff. And we know Savage is energy, energy, energy. So I think when he goes back, he probably looks about the same. Like, he probably walks around the whole arena all day, just, like, tensed up the way only Savage can be with, like, just the one finger sticking out the pinky and, you know, i got to go to catering. Oh, I'm going to kill this bun and eat this sandwich, you know. I think he's, like, on this high level, and he's, he's not going to be able to unclench for the next two years, I think that's the way I see Randy Savage right now. That is beautiful analysis, and he's not going to be able to unclench that. That is what – yes. So, like, clench your fist, folks, and feel the power that initially is in your arm and your hand. And then just clench your fist to the point that you can feel your fingers in your hand for, like, a day at a time and see how that strength is also hurting you at the same time. And so, yeah, that is beautiful. Randy Savage is not going to unclench very well said. And so Ms. Van batting uh, two for two here, because I also want to say that I think that Sherry cutting the hair of Brutus Beefcake might be the most understated, underrated segment in the entirety of the WWF legacy series so far. Oh my God. Yeah. Finally, somebody goes to this, freak the thing that he's been doing to everyone else. you know nobody could have deserved it more this whole time than brutus beefcake because god he just everything about this character and everything that we're gonna see and if you really want to know you know what it wasn't zeus's fault if they start losing money in 1989 i freaking think it was the uh, probably <laughs> brutus beefcake the whole time i don't know i feel like i'm uh, i'm going too far i'm a little too uh now I'm clenched, you know. Now I I need to unclench and not not be so uh, in my feelings. But man, just oh, it 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 unleashed something inside me when I saw that, and I was just like, finally, I like breathed a sigh of relief and joy, and you know, talk about your euphoria because that needed to happen. Yeah, my biggest I popped for it too, and my reaction was, how do I not know about this? Right. Like, why is this not like widely? just shared because if someone took, brought a two by four out in this era and beat the shit out of Jim Duggan, I would th- like to think that we all would know about it. Mm. 
they cut this man's hair. And later on, I think he's going to act like there's something like morally just wrong with someone who would take the sanctity of someone's hair and cut it. Oh, my gosh. You know, I'm sure there's a few reasons we don't know about it. One, Savage's narrative is tightly restricted yes. in in the kind of the WWE narrative because of the way everything went. He was like, oh, he, well, he, he had a few WrestleMania matches, and that's kind of the only thing he ever did. You know, that's all we pay attention to. Um, and Sherry, as well as someone who rarely gets talked about, and I don't know if it's because she passed away or because she went to WCW or what, but she rarely gets talked about. Um, Bruce Beefcake really hardly even gets talked about either because he's just sort of like attached to Hogan who moves in and out of like persona non grata by the year it seems. And, uh, so I don't know, this whole piece of history is like obscured in the narrative, but man, it deserves some unearthing because this segment, yeah, like I popped harder for this than most things I've seen in this series. Yeah, man, you just hit how stupid we talk about everything, (laughs) you know, you gave us four reasons right there, and every all four of them could have been the right reason. <laughs> but, my God, they knocked Brutus the Barber Beefcake on his face. Sherry jumped on his back, and she cut his hair. To me, this is the white witch who made it always winter and never. This is Aslan taking down the white witch. Like, evil fell on the day that Sherry cut the hair of Brutus the Barber Beefcake. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you are right about that. This is the most justice that we've ever seen in the whole Legacy series. So, it's, Okay, folks, in the community, it's domestic terrorism. I don't like using that word because everybody does. But if I worked a job as a professional wrestler, it would be my idea that you can pin me, you can make me submit, or you can count me out. But I should not feel like if I get knocked out, there's someone, the boys is what they use. It didn't matter if you were a man or a woman back then, you were the boys. Like, we have a code. We have this thing. We look out for each other. So why is one wrestler got scissors and a razor, and the minute that you're knocked out, they're going to shave your head to shame you? That is a sick man. Yep. Miss Van says that's a pervert amongst them. They knocked him on his face. And they took the scissors and they cut his hair. And later he's going to talk about the sanctity of hair and cutting hair. You cut people's hair all the time. You did this and you got it right back and you can't take it. Brutus Beefcake. Yep, that's some frontier uh, justice for you there. That's something that could happen in a, a Western. <laughs> you know, if you run around town being a pervert, yes. then guess what? The posse is going to chase you down and maybe <laughs> you're going to feel some of the same. So, whew. All right. I will point out um, this has been some of the folks on Twitter kind of dug into this and they, they did point out that uh, in real life, the jobbers who got their haircut got a nice bonus for it. So I will say yes. that's nice on the part of the WWF. But if we're just talking about what happens on the screen, it's really yes. unconscionable. So, yeah, absolutely. And so I, I imagine if you listen to this show, sometimes you get confused because I I have had intimate partners for for years at a time and they don't know when I'm being serious and when I'm being sarcastic and I do apologize but I don't know what to do about that but yeah we're not talking about uh is it Ed Leslie is that or am I just making yeah, that up one. yeah yeah we're not talking about dude we're not talking we're talking about a world that we treat as authentic because we expect storytelling to be presented to us like that the rules of the world are the rules of the world but again it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan, it's Jake Roberts, it's Hercules, it's Bruce Beefcake, 
who are mostly the heels have a manager who cheats once in a while, who is less impressive than almost any wrestler physically. You only got a few people who are bringing weapons that could damn near kill you and using them against you. And yeah, you're going to get called out when nobody else will call you out and the fans will cheer and act like it's justice. Well, you know what? Justice got served. And if it had been Miss Elizabeth and Randy Savage and he had been world champion and Bruce Beefcake had been a heel cutting hair, you would have heard about this for the rest of your life today that they cut the hair of Brutus the Barber Beefcake, where you're going to hear about it either way, even though it's Savage and Sherry as heels and Brutus Beefcake somehow as a baby face. <laughs> never understand it i'll never understand how somehow he was even worse as a heel when he turned like that could have been such a natural thing and it was just even worse than anything we had seen before so i have no understanding of the career of ed leslie sometimes i do is he was a hogan guy you know it's not surprising so oh boy all All right I will say real quick, I figured out Starcade 94 yesterday, so oh. it's been it's been a long time coming. Oh. But I, I think Hulk Hogan was going to start his own kind of business within Hollywood because, like I said, you had the Baywatch people saying, like, this thing is going to take off. And like, like you, and Hogan had already promised Beefcake, like, you pretty much you're going to head up this business or be there so that I have someone that I trust when I'm not around. And then, of course, the show didn't take off. None of that happened. Hogan went to WCW. So I've got to imagine it was a, yeah, you're not getting any of those things that I said because none of it happened. How about a Starcade 1994 matchup for you? Well, I, this is, I can't remember we talked about this. Someone pointed this out to me on Twitter. And I, you know, of course, I can never swear that it's true, but it's some, some interview or something that said Hulk Hogan at one point thought that Brutus Beefcake would be the guy to replace yes. him on top of the WWF. So <laughs> I have to wonder, were we like, um, Vince McMahon say so away from WrestleMania six being Hogan versus beefcake. I mean, we've talked about how it could have been better, but you want to talk about how it could have been worse. Jesus Christ. That's terrifying. Yes. Um, and, and I idea, think oh, my God behind his back, I think they laughed him out of the room and I think he knew better. Mike, this is just all guess work. But the same way you're going to put Bruce Beefcake in your film or TV so that you have someone that you trust, you are trying to put the belt on freaking Bruce Beefcake so you can go away for one year or maybe 10 years and WWF cannot succeed without you and you can take the belt back anytime you want to. <laughs> oh, man. So um, at least Sting was better than uh, Bruce Beefcake as far yes. as Patsy's go, you know, for the for the real champion. So, Ooh, yeah, no, Sting was a lot better than Beefcake. Thing is a lot better than Beefcake, but Sting also has a, an affect that is kind of like Brutus Beefcake. That's never serious. It has, that lacks a little bit of weight that it needs for a champion, and yeah. so there's a little bit of something that's very similar there. But yes, Sting is a lot better than <laughs> Brutus Beefcake. That's obvious. <laughs> that was very impressive. That was, that was um, auctioneer level uh, rattling that off there. I'm I'm very impressed. I understand you got to get that Sting um, stuff out as quickly as possible so it doesn't uh, fester. Yes. So, Whew. Yes. oh man. Yeah, just unbelievable. Um, and you got to imagine, like, if Hogan went and pitched, well, Brutus Beefcake should be the next champion. They say no. He says, okay, well, then you have to do the next thing I want, which is he's got to be, like, my tag team main event. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to suffer with. I'm going to say before the end of this show, there's been a lot of talk about Zeus, but no holds barred about, like, why did things maybe start going downhill around, a little bit around this time. I'm going to give an alternate solution for that that I think is at least an important factor. And uh, it has to do with Brutus Beefcake, but I'll talk about that as the end of the show. I love that because it's probably not one thing, and I do want to make a case for why it might be Zeus. 
but I'm also not saying it's one thing. So Part you will get some. Zeus, but it's other things yeah. as well. You can't just say it's Zeus. So. Oh, absolutely not. But I like that we're going to be giving several potential narratives then before absolutely. we're done. Um, so I also like the oh yeah the Sarah, Sherry Savage now like separately and then together like building that oh yeah out together that's pretty nice for sure and I'll say this no matter how Savage is feeling inside he's looking great on the outside because he's wearing some awesome gear even by uh, his usual standard and uh, I don't know when he's gonna switch to the long tights but he hasn't done it yet and like he's wearing just he's got some great looks yeah. going on right now yeah. I agree. They're almost more understated because he's a heel. They can't be big. They have to be like a different kind of good. I think does he have a work. jacket that has like a beautiful like picture of himself on the back? Yeah. I think or something like that. Like it looks incredible. So props to the gear makers. They are uh, an uns- unsung heroes often in wrestling, and they do some wonderful work. So. Okay, and then we go to Gene and Bruce. Beefcake absolutely agree with that. Uh, this is where Beefcake is a little bit like Sting, so this is what I was jokingly saying. But Gene Harkin's <laughs> like, Macho Man says that he has a surprise for you tonight. And that's a really bad thing when your opponent has a surprise. And Beefcake resp- responds with, I'm already surprised. <laughs> so like, oh, all right. <laughs> okay, cool. So there's not – okay. All right. I don't know you what know to what? do with that, I- but – I can definitely see Brutus Beefcake talking about his butters, you know what? So you know what? Maybe <laughs> yes. you're onto something there. Uh, yeah, but man, as much yeah. as we've mocked Sting for being a weak promo, uh, especially kind of in his early time, Brutus yeah. Beefcake is so much worse at yes. everything. Because what is it? Like, he makes some weird, lazy comment that Sherry is ugly. And I don't know if you ever looked in a mirror, but you look like a <laughs> half inflated balloon, Brutus Beefcake, uh, in your face yeah. area. <laughs> Um, it, it's so bad. We parse inflated. That's a great uh, quote. Okay, good, good. It's so bad though because he's like, my hair is talking to me. You need to listen to my hair, and he's like snipping oh. at Gene Okerlund, and he's just like, we we criticize Hogan and Warrior for talking about nonsense, but like Brutus Beefcake, you know, he's on that same train, but he lacks the charisma to even try to make it work. So it's just not good. Yeah. This is where the phrase not ready for prime time comes from. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah, it's not. Like you're Hogan's friend, but that's that is it. Like he is a deer in the headlights at the end of the show and he it's like he's trying to act like Hulk Hogan, but he doesn't even know what Hulk Hogan's doing, so it's like am I doing this right as he's doing it? So we'll we'll get there. You know, Brutus is out of his depth here. I, I will agree that Zeus belongs in a main event probably a little bit more. If he didn't wrestle like but if he just stood there. Sure, yeah. You know, at least he could stand there like he looks like he's there. Brutus Beefcake, I feel like he's going to have a meltdown and run away, or he might just be slightly too dumb to have the meltdown, but, you know, one way or he should or he could, one or the other. Oh, these are just the feelings that we're getting, you know. God knows um, what Ed Leslie was actually like, but certainly the vibe that he gives off is not good. So, oh, boy. Um, well, how can we say for a year that Macho Man Randy Savage could not – like stand there and be Hulk Hogan. Like we're big Macho Man fans, bigger fans of Macho Man than Hulk Hogan. Yeah. So what the hell are we supposed to say a year later when it's Bruce Beefcake standing next to him? <laughs> Bruce Beefcake is what Hogan uh, wanted Randy Savage to be yes. in terms of character the whole time. Just like a little sycophant who would just <laughs> follow him around and imitate his style. Beefcake is the type he would gladly wear the the Mega Powers gear. Um, and never make his own gear again, except you'd have to blow out the sides of it so we can all like see his thighs oh. weirdly or whatever the <laughs> hell he does with his gear. So, 
The question is, would Hulk Hogan want him to wear that gear? <laughs> it's true. He never get well. I think in '93, I think maybe he has some red and yellow gear. So we'll wait and see it's what that show looks like. Hogan wants Savage to behave like Beefcake, but he wants him to have the talent and presence of Randy Savage. I think. <laughs> uh, if only. Unfortunately, having that much talent means you're probably not just going to stand around and be like that. So. Yeah. You're never going to get it, Hogan. I like that, and that way they both lose because Savage certainly has lost. He's lost a lot of things. But Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan is playing this game where he's getting, and that's gonna, that's going to be the story of Hulk Hogan in WCW. The more he gets what he wants, yeah. the more he starts to fade and fall. <laughs> There's a funny. We've talked a lot about this guy as well. Um, Vince Russo went to WCW mm. and he was unfiltered, and it was exposed as just the worst thing that has ever been inflicted upon wrestling. Mm. And uh, Hulk Hogan, you know, I don't think he quite sunk to that depth because nobody can, but he's probably the next worst thing. You go and you see just unfiltered Hogan, and it was awful. It was like some of the worst stuff that I really have watched outside of a Russo era. So, um, yeah, there's there's a weird similarity there, I think. And I think we're pay, we are indirectly paying homage to Vince McMahon because <laughs> I think about – some unrestricted Kevin Nash as Booker and sure. wrestler, and it's the same thing again. So they, all of these had the same thing in common. They they left the WWF and they got more of what they wanted, and they got treated the way. It's like even someone who you can't blame people in a way for bullshitting because that's how you move ahead in life, unfortunately. But then you finally meet someone who has money and power, and they're like, well, "I believe you're bullshit. You're the smartest man in the room. Take the book, make everything great," and you're like. That was my bullshit, man. Like, what do you <laughs> do? You not understand the difference? What's happening right now? Oh man. So I don't. There's, there's some people are like, oh, Vince McMahon, what a genius, great businessman, great genius of all time. I don't. Yeah, you know, he had so much help. I really can't go yeah. that way. And if you see some of the worst of Vince McMahon, I don't think you could say like this man is a, a an unquestionable genius. But I will yeah. say this. I think the worst of Vince McMahon is still a lot better than the worst of some of these other people we're talking about. Cause I don't think he ever, and maybe I'll regret this when we get to 95, but I don't think he ever got to that bad of a point of some of the Russo stuff or like the unfiltered Hogan, or like you said, Nash's Booker. I think the worst of WWF, the legacy series will still be noticeably better than the worst of WCW, the legacy series. Yeah. And I do wonder too, and this is a weird thing to say, cause I know I'll get heat because, uh, <laughs> I think once in a while, Missing Man might have had it right, but Bruce Pritchard and Pat Patterson did not like somebody or they didn't like a direction. And so they made it so unbearable that Vince McMahon gave in to them. So I think sometimes Vince McMahon had the right instinct, sure. but there was a pettiness because Vince McMahon can be petty. But at the end of the day, he's also got to make sure that he makes money. But the more I listen to Bruce Pritchard, there's a pettiness and they drill down, drill down, drill down. It's like. The person who's in your ear can influence you in any direction. So everything that we put on Vince McMahon is not always just Vince McMahon as well. I think Vince McMahon, though, in some ways is better because he actually did listen to people, um, at least at times. Yeah. Um, but now I'm wondering, is this another Lex Luger thing or like what's the example of this that we're thinking about? I think for me, this is this might be the Lex Luger thing because okay. – they hated Lex Luger, and Pat Patterson clearly loves Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels because he's a wrestling guy, and right. Bruce Pritchard is just a fucking asshole who did not like Lex Luger, which has nothing to do with business. Right. But you know, and also maybe it's fair at times because like maybe 
you're, oh, I had to go do videos with him and he was hard to get along with, like that kind of thing. But sure. whatever it is does not determine whether he should be world champion or not or get a push or not. For and sure. what it sounds like to me is Vince McMahon wanted Lex Luger uh, to be the world champion. And I feel like they might have talked him off of SummerSlam with the idea that Vince McMahon then goes to Luger and says, hey, you know what? It'll be bigger at WrestleMania, you know, but it's not going to be because he's dead after SummerSlam. So it's just, it's just examples of that is that sometimes Vince McMahon might have had the right idea, which, by the way, Lex Luger winning the world title at SummerSlam 93 was the right idea. But sometimes it's the folks around him, you know, that are like moving the needle and not Mr. McMahon himself. That's very interesting. We have to look at that very closely when we do get there. Uh, I do want to get back to this match, and I only say that for the sake of time because uh, I don't know about you, but I hate this match. I think it's terrible. <laughs> I think it is all Bruce Beefcake just clowning Randy Savage, which goes so against the grain of the universe that I, I was going a little insane as I watched this. Uh, the only good thing is that Sherry kicks the shit out of Beefcake at times, and I think she could just maul this guy by herself if she needed to. But, uh... It, it feels like it goes on a really long time, and Beefcake is even going to win this match. It has to be um, a, a crabby disqualification in the end. So, so yeah, I don't really want to talk about this match except to say that I hate it, but we should uh, at least get on with the show here. Yeah, sometimes the attempt to bring someone up only brings others down, and this is <laughs> Beefcake's not going to be made a main event star. And I also say the same thing about Zeus when he comes out. Zeus is not going to be a main event star. He's not going to be Andre the Giant. So how much capital do you want Savage and Hogan spending on people who are not really going to be there after a month or two? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Sherry running back to get help for Savage was almost like a nice yes. parallel to Liz, but then she came out with Zeus, so it's kind of pointless. Um you know, I like that callback, though, because Savage sends her, and that started so much stuff. And it, it also shows... As much as we feel sorry for Savage, he's just going to keep recreating the same things that would bury himself over and over again if you let him. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're not wrong. So. Okay, oh. so here's my problem. Number okay. one, was Zeus is not a wrestler, and I don't care about the stupid movie, and the movie should not be so important that SummerSlam may have been. But that aside, this is the Andre the Giant Hulk Hogan stuff all over again, except without heat or reaction. Right, yeah. <sighs> yeah, I mean, Zeus is legitimately a huge guy, but um, I just can't get it, like, this is not his fault, but Zeus looks ridiculous, because he's always yeah. cross-eyed, and, like, he has the weird haircut, and uh, I actually, I don't have any problem with Zeus's performance in itself, he just never should have been in this role, like you said, at best, he should have, like, stood at ringside, while two wrestlers maybe fought yeah. Hogan and, and Beefcake, or maybe just stood at ringside while Savage fought Hogan, and we yes. don't have to deal with Beefcake at all, you know, for God's sake. Um, so I, I really got nothing against the guy for who he is. He's just put in a very bad position, and uh, and it just it doesn't work. Like you said, they're trying to, like, tap into something, and it just it does not feel like it's working here. Yeah, to me, this is the segment where Hulk Hogan comes out and choke, or Andre comes out and chokes Hulk Hogan from behind, mm -hmm. which is one of the hottest segments ever. You know, this is there and say nobody's ever like made a rag doll out of Hulk Hogan, but like the fans are not reacting to it. Right. So you're spending a lot of capital and you're getting nothing in return, and I mean that 
for Zeus and Hogan, and I mean that for what Bruce Beefcake did for to Randy Savage, because Randy Savage went from being upset at being second to Hulk Hogan to second to Zeus and behind Bruce Beefcake in the four-way matchup. Right, yeah. Um, I really think it I think it's it's almost impossible for me to think they could have found someone who worked right in this spot, like from the world of acting, because actors are not wrestlers. It's an right. incredibly different thing. And if actors could be wrestlers, I mean, this is the Vince Russo thing. Anyone could be a wrestler. Let's just make mm. him a wrestler. And it always failed. It's always bad. Um, mm. We're trying it even before Russo exists uh, in this conversation. But even if you had found someone who didn't look ridiculous and who didn't, I'm sorry, like basically lack any way of connecting yeah. with the fans, like it probably could have been okay. Like we had Mr. T at WrestleMania 1. And it wasn't a great match, but people were into it because Mr. T, like, had charisma, and he was, like, a star that people knew from somewhere else. This is a guy nobody knows. He looks ridiculous. He doesn't have, like, any it factor to connect him to wrestling. He's just a large person, and he was in a movie you made that's not even going to be successful. So it's just a failure on every level, unfortunately. I don't know how to say this because I agree with everything, but I am a fan in the era apparent of this era, when Lex Luger and the Giant took on Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman. Hey, the big difference there, Dennis Rodman had it for days. This guy yes. is a guy who could have just been in wrestling, and he's not mm-hmm. going to be a great wrestler. But A, he's an athlete, and B, yes. he gets it. He just gets it. And I think anyone will tell you that Zeus was just not well-suited for this. Like, uh, it was hard to keep him focused on what he was supposed to be doing. And the presentation was ju- I can't stress enough how bad the presentation is. Oh, he yes. looks like a joke. He's cross-eyed with a dumb haircut, and he looks like he doesn't know. You want to talk about deer in the headlights? He looks like he doesn't know what's going on half the time. Like, you would have to take his hand and, like, lead him to ring, to the ring and back, yeah. literally. So it's just a world of difference there. Oh, man. And let's be honest. They got him from a really, really poor movie, you know? Yeah, they did. They got him from a really dumb, like, stupidly, funnily bad movie. So it's it's not good. It's just a big failure. I think maybe we can pin everything on that because what it was, if the movie was a success, then all of this would have been a success. If the movie's a flop and, and Vincent Man and Hulk Hogan are not taking over Hollywood, then all of this will be a flop. Right, yeah. And I think we know which one it was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, but yeah, this was like really overly ambitious to put so heavily on this. I mean, like Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan probably watched this movie and they thought it was the greatest thing that was ever made. Um, like, I, if you've ever seen it, <laughs> it is so in their style of humor and it's like very immature and it's very like testosterone and it's very, very cheesy and it just fits them really well. So this is a case where like what you like is not always what other people will like. Um, and this is a very strong example of that. And I think too, is a, I think it's a great analysis is a combination of this is what they like. And it's also, if we jam this down the throat, of our audience and we make them think this is the most important thing in the world, not wrestling, not wrestlers, not number one contenders, not belts, but this movie, there has to be this idea that our promotion is so big that if we get everybody to watch it, we become a success in Hollywood, whether this shit is good or not. Mm. Yeah. So they, they bet and bank a lot 
on forcing this thing to be something that it was never going to be. You know the really, really sad thing? Stan Hansen is in this movie. <laughs> so if you want to take someone, a big guy who could have gotten over immediately, uh, he's probably too stiff to work Hogan and Beefcake in 89, but for God's sake, you bring in the real Stan Hansen, not the, like, tobacco-chewing, still good, but sort of silly, like, WCW Stan Hansen. No, bring in the real guy. Like, I think this could have gotten over a lot more than it did, but um, that's a pipe dream that never could have happened. But it's just a crazy thing to think about. Like, he was right there in the same movie, and he had, like, a decently big part in everything. So, I don't it's just, it's so freaking weird. I don't even know how to talk about it. It would also make sense because a wrestler being jealous of Hulk Hogan makes a lot more sense than just another random actor yes. who's not a wrestler. So, and also, I hate to make it even worse for you, but... Hulk Hogan went to Japan and wrestled Stan Hansen. Sure, yeah, no, that's very true. You're so right. Hogan would yeah, have no, like, I don't think Hogan would have an offense at this. So this yeah. is very a very very doable thing that could have happened. And can you imagine Sherry, Randy Savage, and Stan Hansen together? Oh my God, like the greatest dream team that you could imagine. So holy crap, I can't even think about this anymore. That uh, that actually broke me a little bit. So <sighs> I know what would have happened. Uh, number one, uh. Bruce Beefcake would have become Tatanka of Survivor Series 93 and would have got taken out before SummerSlam. I don't know what would have happened to Hogan. <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay, oh. so my last note on this is WCW was not the first company to rip off the high, the top era of WWF. <laughs> yeah, we have a bad imitation of some things that have worked in the past here. So, uh, my favorite thing, um, after this, yes. they go backstage and Zeus is growling like a weirdo. He looks dumb, but whatever. But uh, they, they make two really insightful points here. First, Sherry says, Hulk Hogan is a guy who likes to beat up women and cry when he loses. <laughs> so more truth-telling from uh, Sensational Sherry. And then Zeus scores maybe uh, his only point of this whole feud as he points out, Brutus Beefcake is less than nothing. I'm very yeah. observant, big man. Wow, you picked that up right away. Good job, man. I like that a lot. Hulk Hogan, you are nothing, and Beefcake, you're less than nothing. <laughs> you got the second one right, exactly. Yeah. So, bullseye, my friend. I also love, Sherry says, the cauldron of madness, which is just, oh. these are these are still Disney characters. This is like a TV show, Once Upon a Time, where they did Disney, all the Disney characters are just roaming around Earth in regular towns, and you're like, Oh my God, we are actually not equipped uh, to handle this kind of magic, and we're kind of in trouble right now. I'm just playing. Um, I might have mentioned I'm just playing Kingdom Hearts, yes. so I had that strong vibe of these Disney villains, like uh, standing around the cauldron and uh, kind of like making their plans. So I, I like it. I can relate to that strongly. I think that is the only problem with Stan Hansen. I don't think that even Hulkamania would have withstood this trio right now. So I, <laughs> I don't know if we could have went that route. <laughs> Oh, man, it's a great point. He would have had to find a better partner than uh, Beefcake, that's for sure, whoever that might have been. So. Yeah, I think it would have brought regret to a baby face, which is not allowed, because then it would be like, you know, I need Randy Savage, because you would have to bump up Ultimate Warrior, which would make this probably just as bad as what we got. So You know, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. Ultimate Warrior's okay. got his own thing. Imagine for a second, who, who do we spend the first half of this show talking about? You know? Dusty Rose. What if Dusty Rose oh, yeah. comes in and stands next to Hulk Hogan in this period? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that would have been I great. I agree with that. Oh, my God. Um, 
Jake Roberts, I kind of had a thing with Ted DiBiase, but he was always, like, super, super popular on that top level. Like, there are just a lot of people who could have joined this feud that would have been so much better than freaking Beefcake. Dusty Rose, man, I would, oh, man. Because then we get Dusty Rose and Randy Savage out of the gate, but at a higher level, too. Higher level, Stan Hansen involved, like, God, that oh, just yeah. sounds amazing. So, uh, if only. You okay, can't so I, that I, I thought we were at the end of the show. <laughs> No, we yeah, actually yeah. have we have a great match to talk about still, one that I'm excited about. Yes. Um, and uh, we'll have to do it justice in the time we have left. But it is Demolition taking on the Brain Busters. Two out of three falls. I love that step. Comes around a lot for the Tag Team Championships, it seems like. And uh, I like it for that. So, oh, before the match, we talked to, uh, talk to Demolition. They say, he can't interfere for three falls and we'll kill him if he tries, basically. And I love that, too. So... We're, we're ramped up for a really good tag team match here. They said it's going to be Pop Goes the Weasel when Bobby Heenan interferes, so that was nice. And, yeah, like this is a blessing, a two out of three fall match between Demolition and the Brain Busters. Come on, yeah. right here. And it's also Bobby Heenan is managing the IC champion. The man that never had champions is about to have two belts if he can win this. But Jesse Ventura points out you better watch who wins that first fall. So oh, here we absolutely. go. absolutely. And I'm, I got to jump ahead just a little because you said all those great people in one place, and it's great. And also, Andre the Giant is involved in this match. Mm. It's like an avalanche of great things happening here at the end of a really not good at all Saturday night's main event. Like, they packed all the great stuff into the end here. So take that for what you will. Yeah, it's also, again... Like, we praise Hulk Hogan for everything he should be praised for, but, you know, he's dividing people. He is, like, destroying people. And here comes Andre Giant again as the anti-Hulk Hogan, who is – he is only out there. A man of the stature of Andre Giant is only out there to help the family yep. in this match. Super selfless. Yeah, he gets nothing out of this except to be a good team player. That's something that – you know, when I first watched through this, I always got the sense that Andre was kind of, like, apart from the Heenan family because, like, Heenan doesn't really tell him what to do. He does his own thing. They always talk about, like, on primetime that Andre's contract is, like, really different. Like, he doesn't stiff Andre the way he stiffs other people. But when you look at kind of, like, some of these smaller details, Andre is always willing to help out the family members even when it doesn't benefit himself. So I love I love that bit of unearthing. That is very cool. Man, I love that too. It's, it's just I, Andre doesn't have to do these things. That's why you feel like that. And it's like, right. but he does it anyway because it's a different thing in the character. And he does it after they put hands on Bobby Heenan. So it's also a reaction of you know what you're crossing a line and you're gonna get checked demolition. Mm-hmm. And who Absolutely. can check demolition other than Andre the Giant? <laughs> Very few. Yeah, Demolition have really stood out to me again as I watch through this, and they are just uh, an amazingly great tag team. I, as much as I love the Brain Busters, as much as I think they are the greatest tag team maybe of all time, a lot of my notes are just about how great Axe and Smash look as they just pummel the living life out of their opponents when they really get the chance to get in there. Like, they are just such a great ass-kicking team. I agree. 100%. Demolition is demolition is demolition. They know what they are. They go out there and do it, and they do it well. I would only say the reverse of that is the beauty of the intentionality that while they are being beat up for all of the run you're talking about, the brain busters are probably trying 17 different styles and attempts, but they're all just failing. And I love that they keep coming back different ways, but they keep getting knocked down every time that they try. <laughs> it's a great dynamic. These are my two favorite tag teams, probably of this whole era. 
Um, and the way they match up here is really beautiful. I think this is a fantastic match. It's a huge highlight for me. I think everybody should make a moment to check it out. Yeah, and this is also one more thing. We're going to get a celebration, so I'm also going to be contradicting myself, which I'm okay doing. Mm. But the reason that we don't get a big celebration about Sherry cutting the hair again is because it's a heel doing it. But also, there should be like a month-long celebration that a guy who never can manage champions endured long enough to have two out of three of the major belts in the company right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. He deserves every bit of that recognition. It took uh, almost five years, but uh, Heenan will really break his championship drought here, and uh, he'll he'll really go all the way to the end having some titles under his belt. So uh, big, big praise for that. Big props to Bobby Heenan, as always, and uh, just, a, just a pleasure to watch. I agree. I want to celebrate it just sitting here and thinking about it. Yeah, and this is, again, praise, though, too, for you, for the work that you did the Bobby Heenan, how long were you working on the Bobby Heenan series? Oh, man. I mean, technically, I'm still working on it. I started yes. in 2016, I think. So, yeah, wow. for a long time, I've been working on this stuff. And Yeah, so uh, part of the reason we're doing this series right now is because of that. Because every time I got so far away from, like, I can't do WWF, the Legacy Series, I can't spend that many years. When I would read those columns, it was a reminder, you don't do Bo- you don't do WWF, the Legacy Series. You don't do Bobby Heenan. You don't do folks like that. So that thing kind of also was like a gigantic force field that kept me from disqualifying doing this series. Oh, man, you're making me – I haven't written one of those in quite a while, um, but, man, you're making me want to pick it back up. I was mm-hmm. writing 1992, which is a great year, so oh. maybe, maybe another Keenan series column will be coming in the future. I always – it's tough now. Um, no, that's too much of a tangent. Maybe I'll write one. I'll just leave it at that. We're low on time, so we'll talk about that later. Oh, man. Great curiosity. We got a cliffhanger there. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I was just going to talk about kind of LOP, the site, and uh, how it is right yeah. now. But no, we got to talk okay. about the match. Um, it's a great match. It's another one you really got to see. Uh, we go, of course, to, um, you know, one fall each. Andre the Giant comes out. Uh, mm-hmm. Demolition. They they beat up Heenan. They beat up Tully. It looks like they're on the verge of victory. But Andre gives a chair to Tully Blanchard, who oh, smacks Smash in the head behind the referee's back. Arn gets the pin. The Brain Busters are your tag team champions. Just what we've been saying. These guys who came in from the NWA and were so good, they didn't even need a weird gimmick. They paired up with Heenan. They basically stayed just the way they were, and they walked to the top of the tag team division, and they earned every inch of it because they are freaking awesome. Yeah, this is a beautiful matchup. It's a beautiful moment in history for Heenan, for the Brain Busters. And when we get to the celebration, I think there is a little bit of low-key, we did this against Vince McMahon, we did this without Ric Flair, we did this with two, all the critics and everybody. We, the Brain Busters, we, two people, we are the tag team champions of the WWF. Absolutely. And they don't talk about this in this era, and that's good because I think it's not the appropriate thing to talk about within the world of wrestling. But I'm sure some people said you guys are too bland for this, and that that shouldn't be a factor within the conversation. Outside of it, you always have to consider it. So they didn't say it, but I feel like there's throwing back against that as well, is that you think we're bland, you think we're generic. We're actually authentic and gritty and good as hell, and we are now the tag team champions. Yeah, and it blew my mind because for some reason I didn't realize, like, Rick Rude and Arn Anderson are part of the backbone and foundation of the Dangerous Alliance. I didn't realize until I saw them all together, like, oh, they were in Heenan's family first. 
this is such a great – I love the scene, and you already mentioned it, but the scene after this, we so rarely get to see the whole Heenan family together. And we see a beautiful scene that involves Rick Rude, Haku, Bobby Heenan, Brainbusters, Andre, all in one place, all in the locker room, all celebrating together, all feeling great as a family. And, man, like I, w- I wish there were more scenes like this through the history yes. of this era where, where we got to see these people all together. There aren't many. I treasure this one. It's wonderful. I love it because, like, who is it? Haku, like, picks up Tully Blanchard because yeah. he's so happy, and it's just – it's an incredible scene. It's heartwarming for a person like me. It's deeply heartwarming. Number one, I'm with you. I love these scenes in general, but they deserve it. It's been a long time coming, and it's also it's the opposite. It calls us out because – yeah, out there in the ring, like baby, our heels hugging is like a heel move. But this is just like a, a legit celebration that just seems like it's not to be mocked. Like the fans don't get to have their voice in it, really. Yep, I'm sure some fans uh, were offended by it regardless. But yeah, that doesn't get to be part of the conversation here. They just have to get a great celebration, and, and it's great. I love it. Watch the match and the celebration. Do not skip either. Absolutely not. So good. Heenan hopes that Hogan and everyone else is watching because they're going to go for even more. And I love that line. I love that the Hogan-Heenan thing can never be let go and that there is the implication, hey, maybe we're even going to win that world title again. So it's not going to happen, spoiler alert, but uh, I love the idea of it because why wouldn't you think you got all the other titles, like you're on a roll like you've never been in this company, maybe it's finally going to happen. He's also going to win a Royal Rumble for the world title that Hulk Hogan is in. So Yeah, yeah, very true. This thing never ends. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it is beautiful, all the way to uh, whose side is he on and beyond. So, mm. oh, it's great stuff. All right, last thing, almost out of time. We've got to talk about Hogan and Beefcake backstage. Uh, Beefcake <laughs> saying he's never seen someone as strong or great as Hercules, and you made a great point, I think, last week that I've been thinking about all week. If you have an actor who's stronger and better than every wrestler, then why get more wrestlers? You should just get more actors, actually, you know, so Mm. it it falls apart in the concept, even. It makes no sense whatsoever. There's none of it makes sense, because the guy can't wrestle even if he's, like, 107 feet tall, and he's still not as tall as Andre, who Hogan's already beat, so every which way, none of this works. Yeah, this guy uh, is not in the same universe as El Gigante, we know that for sure, so. Yeah. Not everybody's going to be as graceful as El Gigante either, so. No, absolutely not. Um, (laughs) Oh boy, so Hogan uh, goes into his playbook, he says the Hulkamaniacs gave him the green light to do uh, everything they want, and that's a Hoganism. He also imagines, again, everyone drowning, which is a weird Hoganism that comes up so many times to the point where, like, are you okay? Like, are you having nightmares or something? He talks about this way too much for it to be healthy. Oh, man. Um, I think it's just supposed to be the stakes. The stakes are always that high. I guess, but, like, it's drowning a lot. No, I I know. We will come to a point where Hogan can't open his mouth without imagining death for his fans, so we're kind of on that road here. Um, Hogan is uh, mean to Gene Okerlund, another thing that he's fond of doing for no reason. I think you had the right thing. Like, this is what happens to a bad Hulkamaniac who questions (laughs) me, I guess. They'll get shamed by me. Hogan... He does a thing which normally I would like. He tries to act vulnerable, and 
I would say for the first time, he really does a horrible job of it because like, oh, we were feeling weak and timid in the ring, but now we won't be weak and timid anymore. And it's like such lip service. It's such like tell, don't show. It's just really poorly done. Um, it's not good. I would argue, baby. I don't know if I, I thought he did a poor job, but I thought that like – I don't believe the I don't believe the scene that I saw that led to it, so it doesn't right. matter if he did a good job or a bad job. No, that's a good point as well. Uh, he brings up Liz out of nowhere, Ugh. says that she's his manager again because I guess he noticed Randy Savage got in the ring, so he remembered Liz was a person. <laughs> and now he says, "I couldn't follow any of this." He said, "And now there's no way to keep her out of it." What? Yes. <laughs> like who even <laughs> mentioned her except you? And now you say like there's no choice, like you're helpless. So. Uh, no, he's, tell, he's, uh, he's telling the truth again because he's not going to keep her out of it. <laughs> it's true. Like, there's no way to stop me from dragging her <laughs> back into this, whether she likes it or not. Uh, this this promo just gets weirder and weirder because now Hogan demands that Brutus Beefcake make a commitment to keep Liz safe, and yeah. Liz is and, and Beefcake's response to this is he imagines a situation where he like destroys a building with his scissors. And it kills everyone inside, including them. And that's like that's the whole end of this promo. Is he just imagines like killing everyone with his scissors, and that's he's the babyface. So this is the point that I wanted to make. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go go on, go on, please. I was just saying this is the point I would try to make. You could say, oh, they brought Zeus in, and they shouldn't have done that. You can even say they brought Brutus Beefcake into the main event, and they should have done that. The real problem with this is they're doing a bad job. It's not mm. even about who is in there. And maybe, like, the people in there, you might expect that they would do a bad job. But we've seen main events with bad people that were effective in this company to so to this point. I don't know what it is. Are they too drunk on success? Are they just getting lazy? Like, this just feels so lazy. This promo's bad. This story's bad. It's bad presentation. It's just being done badly. I think, like you said, like if, if, if this had been successful in some other way, they probably could have made this work. But it's just not working on every level. Yeah. It is like, let's take the worst thing that we can do and let's double, triple, quadruple down on it and see what happens. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. So that's... That's the show, yeah. It's like a, there's some really great things on here, and there's some really bad things on here, and I think this is the way it's going to be uh, for a while. So you asked me before, like, how is 89 going to be? How are these years going to be? I think you're looking at it where we're going to see some stuff which is just brilliant still, but now, unlike in previous years where mostly we just saw good stuff, now we're just going to see mixed in some really bad stuff. That's how I think the next few years are going to go. Maybe a lot of the WWF series will go this way, so I don't know. But that's the vibe I'm getting right now. It's weird because I don't think I was as down on this episode as you, but I agree 100% with the analysis that you come out with, which is we're going to interweave like some really brilliant things with some things that you just wish wasn't there. <laughs> uh, and this is one of them. So, yeah, I don't know. Just like the Hogan Honky Tonk match was worthless. Savage Beefcake made me sick because it was just clowning Savage to, for no really good reason and not even effectively. Everything with Zeus, all that stuff. So you've got that, and it's all bad. But then you've got the brilliant, like, Dusty Rhodes. We saw a lot of great Greg Valentine, Owen Hart, Shawn Michaels, you know, Kobe Beware even. And then this, this wonderful tag team match at the end. So, yeah, I don't know. You just have this weird mix 
of stuff. And maybe this also connects it to WCW because I feel like there were a lot of times where, like, this was a great show and then we got to the main event and it was some, like, weird yeah. Hogan stupid <laughs> shit. So maybe maybe that's just uh, another connection between them. Yeah, you know, we're going into SummerSlam next, so we've seen kind of how TV plays out. What does a pay-per-view in this era kind of look like as we go forward? I don't know. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of stuff on that show, but we are pretty much out of time, so I will just say thank you for listening. If you want to shout me out, I'm on Twitter, at SpectralGent. Give me a shout, give me a follow. Uh, check out the other programs on LOP Radio. Check out uh, LOPForums.com, uh, WrestlingHeadlines.com, all that great stuff. Come join the conversation. That's all we got. We're coming back with SummerSlam 1989. Feel the heat or whatever the weird heat-based tagline is. It's going to be very fun. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature